Hey guys, this is Ben here in the editing bay, and I am just taking a look at the footage uh, since the Bitcoin 2013 conference. Uh, this entire episode is me on the run and interviewing random developers and people that I met, uh, and a couple other funny moments, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so I believe the first clip is me after just using a Bitcoin ATM, but we're going to hold on for a second because I wanted to tell you guys why we haven't released, even though this was hot breaking footage, I guess I kind of missed the release, um, but who cares, whatever, it's a Portboard podcast. Um, anyways, uh, I just released this really awesome service called givepodcast.com.
I just released this really awesome service called givepodcast.com. And what this is, is this is meant for you uh, road warriors out there who listen to the car or listen to this show in the car. And basically the idea is you drive in your car and you hear Sam make a really retarded statement and you'd be like, I got to save that statement that Sam just made. So the whole world has to hear it. So what you do is you back your podcast player up a little bit and you take a screenshot at the beginning of the funny moment you'd like to save. And you can just continue driving to work or whatever. You just have that screenshot kind of saved on your, on your, on your camera roll. And then when you get to work, what you do is you open up that screenshot and you email it to my email address, which is clip at givepodcast.com. And my service will receive the email and magically take a look at the podcast, take a look at the RSS episode, our ID, and it will email you back 10 minutes of an MP3 starting at the time. Uh, and now you can sort of save uh, as a catalog that moment, that retarded moment that Sam um, <clears throat> uttered from his dumb mouth. And uh, you want the whole world to hear it, obviously. Um, and uh, and we'll send it back to you. And the cool part is, is if you put in the title of the email, if you just kind of say, this is where Sam is being an idiot, okay, we can save that. And also if you put uh, either in the body of the email or you CC, uh, just put your friend's email address and we'll email the MP3 back to both of you guys. Um, so this is a service I just launched. By the way, today uh, is June 9th, 2013. Uh, and uh, today was a big day because I was working on this, this, uh, this givepodcast.com. And it's, it's continually evolving. And it's a, it's a lean startup idea. So if this idea fails, um, so be it. Um, I built it on Ruby on Rails and I tried to do very little input. So this, uh, because I spent so little time working on it, uh, it's lean because it doesn't have all the features that it could have in the future, blah, blah, blah. But it will allow me to release a product into the marketplace. This is a big experiment for me because I don't know if it's going to do well. And if it sucks, if I don't make any money, then I'm just going to trash it. Um, so it's a lean startup, just launched. And that's why I haven't been editing audio because I've been so effing busy doing that. But now that it's out, check it out, givepodcast.com or send us an email, clip at givepodcast.com. And why don't you just pull your phone out of your pocket right now? Yes, you driving the car and mowing the lawn and working out. Pull it out. Take a screenshot of me talking right now and email it. Or email it later. I don't care. Whatever. And see how it works. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Anyways, um, the first clip, like I said, is me uh, with ATM. So let's go. Hey guys, welcome to the Port Forward Podcast episode I don't fucking know. Uh, Let me say that again. Welcome to the Port Forward Podcast episode number 31. This is Ben reporting solo from the Bitcoin conference. What? Um, I am here in San Jose hanging out with some of the coolest Bitcoiners around. Um, I just checked out this super awesome machine. It's called Lambasu or something. I'll put, a, I'll put a picture of it. But what they're selling is they're selling a Bitcoin ATM. And it lets you put your fiat currency in and get out real Bitcoins. And it's so cool. All you have to do is have your Bitcoin QR code and scan it. And they have like a, there's a camera that's behind glass. Uh, and you basically hold it up and scan it like it's a window. Like uh, the camera's like recessed a little bit. So it looks really cool. And then um, you insert, there's a little money reader, just like you would see on a soda machine, and you insert your coins, and it's got a touch screen, and it's not like running Windows or anything. It's like a, it's a full operating system just for the ATM. And I just put in $100, because I'm a high roller, and I got out 0.79 BTC, what? So that's pretty cool. I will be reporting here um, all weekend, including the hackathon, so stay tuned. Talk to you later.
Hey guys, it's Ben here, back in the editing bay, and uh, you just heard me being all stoked about the ATM, and what I'm about to play next is a YouTube video, so if you guys go in the show notes, you will be able to find this YouTube video with video. Of course, this is an audio podcast, so all I can give you is the MP3 pulled out of that video, but this is me using the ATM uh, for a different transaction, uh, and I was recording me, um, actually, uh, Sean Gilligan, which I believe his Twitter handle is msgilligan at twitter.com. I'll double check that. Uh, he's filming me from his phone, and I have some a brain fart on the math, and it's hilarious. Also, Flip Pro is filming me from the side. Follow him on Twitter, F-L-I-P-P-R-O, I think. Yeah, that looks like it. His name is Brian. Um, he was filming me from a different angle, and so I'm like interacting with him, and he. Uh, it's pretty funny because I'm like dual camera, which is uh, it's fun. I was at a conference, and people were like really excited about Bitcoin. It was uh, it was really cool. Like he was live streaming some other show, and just happened to be on the same moment as me. So I was like, oh shit, that's pretty cool. Um, so here's the audio. I'm filming All right. this Awesome. Choose a live stream right now. All right, everybody. My name is Ben. I'm about to deposit some money here. Uh, what we got to do is got to pull up the QR code here. So I'm going to go ahead and find that. He's got that. All right. So there's his QR code. That's his public address. So what I do is I go ahead and scan this. All right. It says ready to insert bill. I have 20 fiat currency dollars here. Pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Go ahead and put that in. Jackson. Yes. Now we go ahead and send the Bitcoin. We go from Jackson to Satoshi, just like that. Just like that, everybody. <laughs> go ahead and follow me on Twitter. I am Benathon on Twitter. All right, that's pretty cool. Now, awesome. That is awesome. I'm going to keep walking, you guys. Now if I just press done, okay, it's cleared the screen. However, we can see a transaction has just appeared for 1.59 BTC, and that is yours. 1.59? I think so, you gave me $20. What? $20 for 1.5 BTC? 0.15. Something like that. There's a rounding error maybe in the brain. There's math involved, whatever. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's hilarious. I'm so funny. You go from Jackson to Satoshi just like that. Anyways, here is me after the first day. Hey guys, this is Ben. Um, I am just back from the first day of the San Jose Bitcoin convention. I think it's called Bitcoin 2013. Uh, that would be hashtag Bitcoin 2013 on Twitter. It was uh, it was a good day. There's lots of booths. Um, definitely the most exciting thing was the uh, the ATM. I mean. As everybody knows, it's it's really hard to get money into into Bitcoin. It's really hard to take your you, you know USD and convert it into Bitcoin. And having um having an ATM where you can literally insert you know hundred dollar bill, you know twenty dollar bill, whatever, and get Bitcoin into uh, into your Bitcoin account with a simple QR code. It's it's beautiful. Um, there's another story which I don't know if you guys have been following this, but there was this uh, there's this reporter. Um, who's reporting for Forbes? She's just you know she works there or whatever, and she did this story where she um, she tried to live an entire week just on Bitcoin, and we'll put the link in the show notes. But her name was Cashmere Hill, and you can uh, search for her on uh, the internet or go to Twitter. It's Cash Hill with a K, so K A S H H I L L. That's her Twitter handle. Um, and so she did the story, and in my opinion, she kind of became a celebrity. Um, in the Bitcoin sphere because she basically was like, listen, 
this is for real. Like we're going to make a real currency. Like we're actually going to do this. Um, and so she put the story out on Forbes and she was, she's in the city. She's in San Francisco and she like literally had to move out of her apartment because she couldn't afford rent. Her landlord would not take uh, rent in Bitcoins and she was pretty much starving. Like she, uh, she, there was only three restaurants that would take uh, Bitcoin that with the beginning of her story, there was two and then beginning of her week, there was only two restaurants. And then by the end, there was a third, uh, it was like a, a grocery store that would take Bitcoin. And so she was able to buy shit there, but like it was pretty intense. Um, so uh, it was crazy. Cause I heard about her story on uh, the plan B podcast and it was, it was literally 1am, um, Friday morning. So I'd stayed up really late Thursday, you know, I went to the gym, got, you know, took a shower or whatever. And I was listening to plan B podcast 1am and uh, on that podcast, they said, Oh, there's a hack. There's a Bitcoin hackathon in San Jose. And I was like, what? stop the press. I need to go to this hackathon. So I'm like Googling or whatever I'm searching. And I find the Bitcoin 2013 conference slash hackathon and it's $350. And I was like, fuck, that is a lot of money. You could pay in Bitcoin, but still I, I don't have that kind of Bitcoin in an account. I can just transfer and, and you know, it's a pain in the butt. So I go onto Twitter and I complain. I'm like, I really want to go to this hackathon, but at $350. And this motherfucker offers, he's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to give you half of your tuition. Boom. No done. And he literally just sends me a Bitcoin and a half, half of the price of the admission. Now, this would be Ralph the Ninja on Twitter. This guy is a badass. This guy supports Bitcoin. Now, he can't go because he's in Link Oping. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's in Sweden. And the <laughs> the name of the town is Link and then O with two dots over it, ping. So link O ping, something hilarious like that, uh, with the umlaut over the O, and it's all one word, in Sweden. Um, so obviously he supports the currency. He, he can't go. But uh, he, he was like, within two minutes of that tweet, he literally was like, I will pay you a Bitcoin and a half. And I was like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. <clears throat> so... Um, I then start begging for more Bitcoin because I'm like, hey, if one guy wants to sponsor me for this hackathon, who else? You know, who else is going to sponsor me? Um, and so within uh, within another, maybe an hour or two, um, I got another 0.25 Bitcoin from at Freedom Factory on on Twitter. He looks like he's in Manhattan Beach, so that sounds like a normal a normal location. And uh, that was pretty cool. So that was um, at puts me at 1.75 Bitcoins that I basically got for free on Twitter in the period of like two hours uh, sponsoring me to go to the hackathon. So I was like, okay, I have to go. Um, so, so I also, so on the same, so on the same podcast, on this plan B podcast, episode six, um, I heard about cash Hill and her uh, cashmere Hill and her experience of buying Bitcoin over one week. And I heard about the Bitcoin hackathon and I was like, fuck, let's go. So that night I followed her on Twitter. Cause I was like, okay, whatever. And I'm, like, I'm going to go to this thing tomorrow. And so I look, I'm, I'll look on her tweets and she says, is anyone willing to drive me to the hackathon? I will pay Bitcoins. And I was like, fuck yes, I will drive you. This is happening. So, um, I picked her up in San Francisco. It was fucking legitimate. Uh, I kind of had to like tweet and convince her that I wanted to help her out. She seemed a little bit skeptical in the beginning, um, but we were able to uh, to work out a deal. So that was uh, 1.5 from one guy, 0.25 from another guy, and then I ended up getting 0.5 from her 
uh, 0.5 bitcoins uh, for there and back. So that gives me a total of 2.25 bitcoins that I've gotten uh, within 24 hours without like, and it wasn't like I was planning or like I was like, oh, hey, let's go raise Bitcoin. Like this was like totally serendipitous or whatever the hell that word is. Like I, uh, it's been a whirlwind. Like I've, I've been up for 24 hours. It's four in the morning right now. It was crazy. Um, and so the first day was fun. Um, we got to see the Winklevi twins, you know, those guys from the social network, i.e. the losers of Facebook. Um, we got to see, we got to see them uh, talk. And it was funny because a lot of people on Twitter are like, oh, yeah, Winklevi twins, they talked, blah, blah, blah. Uh, one thing that was funny is they opened with a quote from Gandhi. I'm sure you could figure out uh, if you look it up what quote they opened with. But they spelled uh, uh, Gandhi wrong on, on the slide, so that was good. Um, and their, 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 their slides were, like, really boring. They were like... Bitcoin, no one accepted Bitcoin in the beginning, and now everyone accepts it. And Bitcoin is cool, and blah blah blah. Like the the speech was really like it was. It felt really forced. Like they were in the beginning. I mean, they're twins, right? And they look identical. Um, of course, they're sexier in the movie, but um, they were like, oh, you have to remember who we are, but you know, blah blah blah. It was. It felt okay. So it felt really forced because they were like, who, which one is which, right? Okay, who cares. And then they gave this talk, which would have been good if you were like at a money convention where no one knew what Bitcoin was. But we were at a Bitcoin convention where everyone was like hardcore into wallets and security and ASIC mining and all that shit. And so it was like, you're preaching to the crowd. And I thought that was the case. And Cash also thought that was the case. And we kind of talked about it, you know, on the on the ride back to the city uh, when I was dropping her off at home. And so it was kind of like, OK, big deal. Winklevi twins sucked. Now. Definitely the highlight of the first day was the Bitcoin ATM. I uh, I really can't tell you how excited I was about that. Um, and I got to put in a hundred dollars, and then I got to um, I put a hundred dollars into my friend's account. Um, his uh, his handle is at M S Gilligan G I L L I G A N, just like the island. Uh, he's on Twitter, and he um, he filmed it, and I thought it was pretty funny. It was pretty hilarious. Um, so that link will also, there's a video of me using the Bitcoin ATM. Um, that was when I deposited $20 for him cause he was, he was filming it and that was fun. Also lots of Russians, like I think some Russians fucking hit it big on Bitcoin. Like there was Russian, there was like this guy, the table of Russians and they were like the super hot, like Russian chicks that was like, okay, obviously, you know, this guy bought a bunch of Bitcoin in the beginning or somehow he's rich and he's got his rich Russian girlfriend that doesn't care because he's a nerd. But, you know, she's, you know, he's got the money. So she's like, I'm down way too hot for him, way out of his league. So that was cool. Um, lots of VCs. You can, t you can totally tell a VC, you know, a venture capitalist when you see them because they look really, they're wearing like a really well-fitting suit or like, a, you know, really good jacket and they just look like they're super confident. Like they, they're like, I've got money in the bank. So that was pretty cool. Also, oh my God, I got to touch a butterfly ASIC miner. I, I petted it. I was like, oh, Bitcoins. I was like, is this mining Bitcoins right now? He's like, yes. I was like, awesome. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, the food was, we used the scale of one to five for the food. It was probably a two or a three. I actually didn't take much of it, but there was like taquitos and stuff. It looked like kind of like nerdy stuff. Um, <clears throat> there was open bar. It was like a limited bar. Um, I would say the drinks were a five. There was a, there's a vodka company that was sponsoring the drinks. Um, and it was a, uh, 
Satoshi Tini, I think is what it was called. So kind of a play on <clears throat> Satoshi Nakamoto. And it was like a fruity girl drink, but it was good. It had some vodka and some kind of red, you know, fruit juice in it and, and, and ice and stuff. And that was pretty good. Um, yeah. And so that's my sort of my wrap up for the first day. But I will definitely get back to you tomorrow. Unfortunately, Cash is not going to make it. So I only got to see her for today. Um, She's actually pretty, she was really, she was really a gracious and kind person. It was really good to meet her. Um, and she was like, oh, thank you so much for driving me. And I was like, oh, it was so nice to meet you. And it was cool to hear her story um, and talk about her apartment situation and her situation with Bitcoin and kind of pick her brain about the, you know, her experience with a one week with Bitcoin. And so that was really nice. Um, and yeah, I had a really fun day. So tomorrow, hopefully I'll get my ass up early. It starts at eight in the morning. Oh my God. So if I miss that, <clears throat> I'll miss I'll miss free dent, free uh, breakfast. But we'll see what time I get there. Um, and then there's a hackathon and there's a, the speaker tracks. And so we will we will see. Uh, as you probably can tell, this is record and run on the iPhone five. Ew. I hope that I'll be able to transfer the files fine. We'll see. So, anyways, we will talk to you soon. Thanks. Hey guys, that was a clip from me after the first day. Um, I did drive cash to and from the city, and we had some very good talks on the way there and on the way back. Um, please, 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 if you are interested in what it would be like to have Bitcoin as our primary currency, please go into the show notes and read Cashmere Hill's article. Um, it's called living on Bitcoin for a week. And if you just Google for that and Forbes or go to the show notes, um, it's an amazing sort of portrayal and she's a very good writer it's an amazing portrayal of what it would be like if you had to only use bitcoin uh today and how much more we need to progress as far as being able to buy anything uh that you want to you know food goods gasoline all those things um and the market's not quite there but we're on our way so please read that article um, again, uh, this is me in the studio, if you haven't figured out. Um, I think actually by now I'm probably going to put in me in between every clip. So if you haven't figured that out, I think that's what we're going to do. I'm just kind of recording this as we go. Wow, I am a pea popping Paul. If you guys don't know what popping your peas is, then you've never done an audio thing with jig before, but I'm pretty good at it. So that sucks. Um, up next is the next day in the conference. What's up, guys? This is Ben from day two at the Bitcoin 2013 conference. Um, it's about the middle of the day. It's 3.13 p.m. Um, I, uh, well, today is the day that they start the different tracks. So I believe that there is a business track, a tech track, and a finance track. And so what that means is that means that there's three conference rooms, and each one has a, has a uh, they're all simultaneously running. So depending on what kind of person you are, what kind of talk you want to go to, you could choose one of the rooms. And then the reason it's called a track is because after every hour, the speakers rotate, and so you can stay on the same track or rotate tracks. So it's a pretty standard, you know, conference kind of thing. So that's been pretty cool. There's a hackathon going on as well today, and I don't know. I mean, the hackathon has been cool. I've been talking to a lot of people, getting a lot of ideas, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure if I'm ready to throw at, throw down. I, I don't know that I have an idea that's worth winning or losing or being embarrassed by not winning because, you know, I always like to win the hackathons. So um, that's been cool. I've been talking to a lot of this. There's been VCs here. There are, uh, there's lots of interesting things going down. Today I've been talking to some really um, interesting people. There's lots of people in the Bitcoin community that... Um, 
it's really crazy because there's like the normal people and then there's the crazies and there's like, you know, I didn't know this, but I've talking to some people and there's a lot of sentiment against the Bitcoin foundation. People fear that they're trying to regulate it, that they're trying to, you know, either get in bed with the government or trying to control Bitcoin so that the Bitcoin foundation is the only entity that profits from it. It's really, it's really interesting to talk. Um, there's also, also a lot of people that think that the Mt. Gox, um, lawsuit was uh, possibly a sham or the, the business deal. I forgot the other entity in the business deal, but that the, uh, the entity knew that Mt. Gox was going to have these issues uh, and that the lawsuit was going to come. And then now Mt. Gox got busted because they're not, they're failing to comply. Um, it's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of different ideas and stuff and stuff flowing around. Um, so yeah, I've been having a lot of fun. Um, I put some more money in the Bitcoin ATM. That's been pretty cool. I also, there was also, uh, so that ATM I, that I have pictures and a video of um, costs $4,000 in bulk and $5,000 um, for singles. Uh, and I don't think it's ready to be sold yet. But um, there was another guy that had basically a very cheap version of this. It was basically a knockoff for under 1000 which I thought was pretty cool. It means there's already competition in the Bitcoin ATM um, market. And this com competitor, what he did is he basically had money in a, um, in a Mt. Gox account. And basically, when you put the dollar in, it trades at that value. Whereas the other ATM, I don't think it, it, it works straightly, straight with Mt. Gox. So that's actually pretty interesting. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, that was really cool. There was actually a bug that didn't work with all the types of QR codes that uh, Bitcoin could provide, but they will totally work that out. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting. I also uh, bought a shirt, which is the first thing I've ever bought on Bitcoin today, which is freaking awesome. Um, I just used my blockchain app, and um, all I had to do was I pulled up the blockchain.info app on my iPhone. Um, I put money into it using the ATM. I just scanned the QR code on the ATM. I put money into it. Uh, and then I went over to the shirt guys, and I went ahead and paid for it. And it was interesting because the, the money from the ATM was unconfirmed. It was, I guess, announced on the network but unconfirmed. And I was still able to pay that money out to the guys that wanted the shirts. And I don't know what sort of payment processing apps there are out there, um, but it was really slick. Like, I scanned the QR code. It sent. And then he said payment received. And it was green and it was done. It was like super, it was super cool. It was seriously like there was nothing tech that I needed to have to know. Like if I never had seen Bitcoin before, but I, someone said, you just download the app. Here's the ATM you put money in. Here's the stores where you take the money out. I would have been like, I would have been able to do it. And I could have been like my grandma. Like it was super simple. So that is really, really powerful for the, uh, the Bitcoin uh, economy because people not being able to spend, right? I mean, people just going to, people are just going to speculate and just hold on to their Bitcoins because the value is going to go up. Then it, the network doesn't do anything. There's no transactions. What we want is many, many, many transactions. Um, so that is really cool. Um, anyways, I'll probably record something else when something else happens exciting, but uh, that's it for now, so thanks. All right, guys, that was a recording of me in the hallway. Um, up next is an interview, and uh, it's a pretty cool interview. It's a, uh, Rich Brumpton is a pretty cool guy that I met, and I'm still in touch with him, of course. Um, this was definitely after I had been sucked into the hackathon. Previously, I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about the hackathon. And at this point, I am full balls to the wall hackathon. So with that in mind, uh, let's go. Also, I think this is at like midnight. And so we're like full swing and, and uh, still haven't had a sugar rush. Haven't drinking all those Red Bulls, but Red Bulls are on the way. Just wait for that. Anyways. 
Hey, what's up, guys? It's midnight, and I'm here with... Rich Brumpton. All right, so I met Rich here. We were hanging out getting lunch. Yeah, we got lunch together. And we were hanging out, and... Uh, and he was talking about his Bitcoin ideas, and I was talking about my Bitcoin hackathon ideas. And then we kind of parted ways and did some other shit. And we came back in the hackathon room, and I was like, hey, I know you. And we were throwing ideas back and forth. So what was the core idea that we started on? It was like uh, Well, actually, I think we started with uh, talking about how to do authentication with uh, Bitcoin. Right. How do you authenticate? Like we were talking about send wallets and receive wallets and how do you kind of authenticate? Um, that somebody is really a person using their Bitcoin address. Right. Exactly. And then I think you were the one that tied it back to the GitHub. To, well, to SSH keys. I said, yeah, well, SSH on GitHub, keys, yeah. you have SSH keys of public and private keys. And I wonder if, how you can sort of interact with those. And then we had the false assumption that all commits were signed with your public key or private key, which is You're, false. Yeah which that sucks, <laughs> but it would have been nice if that had worked. Um, but it does turn out that you can verify identity, identity because GitHub is the actor that is verifying your identity, whether you use a SSH public-private key or if you use a, a user password. Yeah, in this case, we don't need two-factor authentication because we're not going to have issues with people committing code for other folks maliciously. I mean, that's you're not going to maliciously get somebody paid. Right. So I, I keep, every time someone asks us, I pitch the idea, but I want you to pitch the idea sure. to, to me now. So what are we building? So we're building a system that allows developers to get paid from a project. When they c commit code on GitHub, GitHub. Uh, on GitHub, uh, the, the project administrator can uh, go to a page, see all the commits that have happened. Uh, we're going to give them a recommended payment based upon parameters that they right. can set. Right. Um, and so based upon the budget and the size of the project, they can pay a few cents, they can pay a couple dollars, whatever it's worth. Um, and it puts it all on one page. They can modify things if they need to, and then hit go, and bam, they just sent out a payment to everybody who is a member of that project that committed during the period that they're paying for, whether it's a and, week or a month. And or who would benefit from this? Uh, what kind of projects would benefit from this? This is really cool for any project where you've got some people that are kind of interested, and they're, they're, they're working with you, but maybe they're, they're coming in and out. They're not necessarily sticking with you. This is a great way to retain folks. And what, 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 why is there a retention? Well, because they're getting paid, and, but, and as we're uh, doing, uh, uh, as we're uh, processing this, every time they go through another pay period, uh, and they stick with the project, and they commit during each sequential pay period, we up that level of payment a little bit. So we add another percentage on top, so they get a bonus if they commit every single period, and they're nice and reliable committing. They're going to get the best possible payout. And what if they commit some, like, whether they're just trying to make commits that are just comment changes, like change a space and commit, what happens? Well, that's why we always have to have a human in the mix. Okay. There's no way to objectively measure the code. The and quality sure, of? Or the, yeah, the quality or the usefulness or the efficiency of the code. Right. Or the necessity of doing 28 commits when you were doing something versus doing three commits. Right. Um, that's all going to depend on the way developers work. So right. the administrator is going to have the freedom to modify uh, the payouts based upon the actual experience that they're having and what they're getting from their uh, users. So I just had a good idea, yeah. right? So sometimes if I'm working on a feature, uh, I'll make a new branch. Yeah. And the only commit you would see on the branch that was the payout branch, I guess, would be a merge in, even though I had 15 commits, okay? Yes. So that would make sense. Now, what if I had made those 15 commits just on the main branch as opposed to doing a single merge? I would get paid 15 times out. Yeah. So we should, we don't have to add it today, but it would be cool to add a way to merge 
the payouts to say these are all actually the same. These should have been part of one commit. I'm not, I guess you could just reject all but the first, but it'd be cool to just merge them and say we're giving you a very small penalty because we had to merge them, but right. this is what you, this is how you should do it in the future. Like as a way of, right. Yeah, I mean this is, this is obviously it's a hackathon, so right. it's not necessarily a fixed product. Um, right, there's, right. there's a couple things that are going on. Um, right now we're paying for every commit essentially. Uh, because we're not summarizing things, we're not doing math on saying you did 28 commits, so we're going to average the number. Right. So uh, uh, depending on how people want to reward their users, this is something that definitely can be modified and tweaked very easily mm -hmm. to suit your needs and, and reward people the way you want to reward them. Mm -hmm. It's cool, man. So have you, been fun, have you been having fun here? I've been having a blast. And cool. This is my first hackathon ever. Awesome. Awesome. I, I'm not really a developer guy. I'm an uh -huh. IT infrastructure guy. Uh -huh. So getting to do a hackathon is really fun. So I want to talk about you in a second. But first, uh, I want to talk about a little bit about Ruby on Rails. Now, uh -huh. I really want to do a podcast with my normal two buddies and give you guys all the whole the whole Rails breakdown on how I've fallen head over heels for this cool Ruby on Rails bullshit web server. But uh, one thing that's been really fun here is that um, uh, Rails has its own web server bundled. So you basically make your Rails project, and then you can just type Rails server, and it'll launch it on port 3000. And so what I've done for local development is I just launch it in one terminal window, and I minimize it, and I do all my work on a second terminal window. And since Rails just reads the file every time you hit it, it just automatically updates. But I'm working here with Rich, and he's a code noob, and, so, and also he has a PC, so there's no way for him to um, run Rails, collaborate on Rails, or whatever. So basically, I started another window in another, actually I made a whole other commit branch, Mm -hmm. So I uh, so I've left him on master. And I'll tell you why in a second. I took my own branch, which is dev, and um, I ran a, a web server on another port, three thousand one, mm -hmm. and now he can just access my computer, uh, uh, you know, over the network. And whenever he wants a code reload, what he does is he pushes to master, and then I pull and restart the server, and now he can continue hacking away, which is super cool. I've been really stoked with that. And now the reason I put him on master is because the Git. The def so he was in the beginning. He was editing on GitHub.com, mm -hmm. and you can actually just edit text files and press save. And that the default for that puts you on master. I could have shown you how to switch branches, but I just okay. left you on your own. Mm -hmm. I said I'll do dev. I'll do my own shit. Uh, but then we needed to upload an image. How did that go? Uh, it took a little bit of try. We we weren't able to get the image. There's no way to upload the image inside the GitHub web interface itself. Right. So right. I downloaded and installed the Windows GUI client. The GitHub Windows GUI client, not the, the not the pure Git one, yeah. but the GitHub one, right? The GitHub one that's available on the GitHub website. I didn't need any any special features. So you were talking about. There's the, a lot of features that are included if you do an msys git install. And I actually I should put up my uh, I have a wiki page mm -hmm. for my company for joining me on how to install my Windows wiki stack, and I should just put that publicly on the net because it's yeah. so useful, right? So, yeah. Well, I, I, I need to read it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to. I mean, you're, you're pretty happy on, the, uh, on the, the basic client, right? Yeah, I mean, it works pretty well for me right now. I think that if you are interested in, in pursuing this further, I think if you only have one user, I think that that is a pretty good client. Yeah. Uh, when you have multiple users and you have to do merges, it's a nightmare. And actually, I refuse to merge on anything but a PC. Uh -huh. And since I don't have a PC with me, we might have to merge it on a Mac, and I might be pissed. But I don't. I don't think we're going to have any conflicts because we're not editing the same files, so that that'll be good. Well, yeah, I, I, I can't hang with some of the stuff you're editing. Yeah, so it's been cool, and so um, and you've been doing a little bit of if statements in your ERB files in the in the in the Ruby, and yeah, uh, blown it up good a couple times. Cool. Got, got, yeah. got through, figured out uh, what I was doing wrong in the macro level. It turns out it wasn't even the if statement; it was something off to the side. I was screwing up syntax. Exactly. My 
favorite thing was uh, I was trying to show them how cool scaffolding is. So each person I pitch, I pitch rails to, I um, I show them the scaffolding, and I it always works every time. And I migrate the database, and it just works. And it was not working for the life of me. And it turns out that. Uh, I was getting name conflicts in about four places on the word commit because uh, we were using commit as the object and then various properties were called commit. And so we had to change that and that was annoying. But Yeah, watch those reserved words. It's something we always forget and we always read. But I don't even know what they are in Ruby. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's cool. So now that we talked about the hackathon, and by the way, this is the midnight update, so uh, yeah. we're, we're having fun. Uh, tell me about yourself. So I'm an IT, uh, I work for an IT consulting company. Uh, I do solutions development for them, put together uh, packages of products and services and support and whatever else needs to be around that thing to help sell a customer basically glorified plumbing, the stuff so, that they need to run right. Ruby on Rails and other applications right. in their environment. So I call that architecture. Now, I when I do architecture, first I choose the, I do that plumbing, as you said, glorified mm -hmm. plumbing, but then I also look at data flows and databases and how, then I also architect sort of an API for how the data flows from one to the other, which I'm assuming is out of your purview. You kind of yeah. choose the tools. Um, but I would highly recommend that you don't say glorified plumbing and you, you, that's like demeaning. You should say like, I'm an architect or I'm almost an architect or like, you know, make it sound like you're cooler. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. I, I've, I've been around long enough and have enough stuff recorded. I, I, I use deprecating humor. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> that works. Um, so, uh, uh, and so, where are you? Where were you born? I guess born and raised. I'm actually or? born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Um, and uh, I've actually lived for 13 years out in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. So got a wife and some dogs there. Oh, cool! Great, great uh, place to live for me. So don't take this offense, but yeah. you look British. Is that do you have any descendants or? I I'm uh, let's see. Yeah, I got a significant amount of uh, English and Scottish in the in the okay. family tree, and then, okay. uh, some Swedes donated some blonde hair too. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah blonde hair, which is totally cool. Um, yeah, so, and and uh, can you say the company? Do you want to say the company you work for? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I currently work for MTM Technologies. Uh -huh. They're they're really an awesome company to work with. If you need anything, Citrix, Cisco, NetApp, EMC, uh, Microsoft infrastructure specialists, um, and we have monitoring and management and, and support offerings that we offer our customers. It's really a cool company. We got uh, 240 people with hundreds of certifications between them. So oh, cool. Lots of smart folks. And uh, have you used, ever heard of uh, FreeBSD, uh, not FreeBSD, but uh, FreeNAS? FreeNAS, yes. I, yeah. I, uh, FreeNAS was my first NAS when I was first playing around with Zen Server back in the love day. Love it, love it. Because uh, I, I didn't have an, a NAS to play with in my lab, but I had four old PCs sitting around. So, yeah, I, I actually at one point had uh, uh, multiple storage repositories on multiple PCs, was putting in another 40 gig hard drive for every VM I had, because I had a stack of 40 gig hard oh, drives. Oh, fun. That's fun. So yeah, so I alluded to this earlier, but I'm running Zen Server. I mm -hmm. love it. I'm actually stuck on version 5.5, because okay. at 5.6, they broke software RAID. Now, they don't officially support software RAID, yes. but they broke it. It was It's, it's MDADM is the Linux command. Works great on 5.5, but 5.6, they broke it. So whatever. Okay. So uh, I went through a crisis where I ended up, I actually had a bad RAM stick was what the, the cause was, okay. but all my VMs were failing disk checks because oh. of the bad RAM, which I've had happen to me probably four times on this earth so far. So okay. that sucks. Anyway, so initial signals, uh, signs pointed at the disk. Uh -huh. So I said, this hacked MDADM plus 5.5 must be wrong. Yep. Let's tear it out. 
and do something new. So I was playing with Zen Server, I was playing with all these different things, and what I really wanted to do was I wanted to do a Zen Server, uh, uh, a free NAS VM running on the Zen Server, yes. which was then the NAS for all the other VMs. Yes, okay. I, I've actually done that before. It, it, it works better than I thought it would. Right, so the problem is, is that the BSD, the default BSD or whatever, uh, is HVM, so it doesn't support more than three drives. Right. So, hmm. I don't know, I'm just, I mean, it's curious that you had done that as well. Yeah. So what I was trying to do was recompile the kernel oh. with Zen options. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I moved to open NAS, I think is what I did. This has been right. a while, while right. back. So, so I NAS, really want free NAS for the yeah, ZFS. Free NAS, free NAS didn't go far enough at the time, so I stepped over to open NAS. Um, now, I, I will admit, I have been off of the free NAS, open NAS bandwagon sure. a little bit because somebody gave me a NetApp. Uh -huh. so, you love that. Well, yeah. It, uh -huh. I mean, it's it's a filer. I got NFS and SIFS and everything right but on But you don't it, have ZFS, so. though. So, uh, But I have Waffle, so who needs ZFS? I don't even know what the hell is that. It is. So uh, you, a lot of the features in ZFS, like snapshots uh -huh. and uh, the atomic commits and uh -huh. things like uh -huh. that, are actually inspired by the Waffle uh, Write Anywhere file layout oh, cool. that NetApp invented oh, cool. over 20 years ago. And that means that no matter where you write a file, it's about, like, you can choose well, a place on the disk to write it kind of thing? It's not where you're writing the files, it's where you're writing the metadata. It was the first uh, file system that actually had the concept of not using, uh, well, at least the first modern one, that had the concept of not using a file lookup table that is in a fixed place on the disk. So instead, the of, MFT. Having, instead of having to actually uh, uh, scan your uh, scan your disk head all the way back to the beginning or the every middle time, of the disk, every right, time right, you right. want to look something up, and then scanning back to your file location and, and chattering your head back and right. forth. They just go ahead and they knock down the metadata wherever it makes sense. They can lay uh -huh. it out wherever uh -huh. they need to. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing that's really cool is they do everything with consistency points. Mm -hmm. So they collect up a whole bunch of writes. And a transaction. Yeah, a transaction effectively. They commit that transaction. If mm -hmm. anything goes wrong, they can roll back. Roll it back. Um, and they also, uh, it's, it heavily uses uh, the ability to have pointers. So if I want to do uh, an instant clone of something, mm -hmm. or, or if I want to uh, preserve copy a volume, on write. I can do a snapshot. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, this isn't actually copy on write. Uh, instead of doing copy on write, uh, they actually do, uh, they just write new blocks and then back up and update the metadata. So it, uh, instead of having to do four disk operations, mm -hmm. they do two. Uh, so... Let's so, break that down. Okay, yeah. so copy on write means I have two. I have one file. Yep. I like to clone it. Yep. And I don't copy. I just write, say, hey, it's been cloned. Yep. You say, hey, it's been cloned. But no, nothing else. I don't yeah. go iterate through the whole thing or anything. Yeah. You don't touch anything else. You just say, hey, it's been cloned. Okay. Now, if you're going to make a change to that file, you're going to on either it. one, right? Uh, yeah. Either the original or the copy. E the, uh, the original or the, or the copy. Uh, you have to read the original data. You then have to write the new data. You have to write the old data in either in some temporary space. Okay. Or you're either overwriting or you're writing in a new location. Either way, uh -huh. you're writing twice. Um, and then you have to, I believe, read one more time to verify. There's sure. four, four okay. disk four operations. Reads. Okay. And then what you said was? With, with NetApp's system, they actually are just writing what the data. What was the name again, though? Waffle? Uh, no, what was oh. these copy and write versus... I don't know the technical Fair enough. jargon name okay, for yeah. it. Yeah, so, um, but basically what it does is it just lays down the blocks, the data blocks on the disk wherever it happens to be, mm -hmm. and then it goes back and it updates the, uh, the root inode that refers right. to it um, and just says, this is the original, uh, and pointing to 
the original exist. Uh, sorry, this is the snapshot reporting to the original existing data. Mm -hmm. So now that's locked read only uh, because it's a snapshot, um, and any writes are going to this new data location, and the metadata sure. points over so there. I th so, so it's just two disk operations. So I think copy on write though gives you ability to change both. Yeah. Whereas what you said only allows you to change the copy. In, in this case, yes. Um, so if you need to change the other one, it, so in, in the case of like a, a flex clone, a fast clone that okay. they have, mm -hmm. um, then both locations are writable. Um, and it's just, it's more a matter of uh, whether you want to allow it to be writable or not. The snapshot feature is all about uh, data retention. Okay. So it's not supposed to be uh -huh. writable. But they do have a version that is writable. And they also can do it, they can also use their pointer system. That, that's the root of how they do their deduplication on primary storage. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, right. So they, they've really, they invent, uh, they, they, when uh, Dave Hitz came out with Waffle uh, all those years ago, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's really paid forward for mm -hmm. them. They, that, that basic technology that they adopted all that time ago, they were able to put some really cool technology on top of it just by extending that concept. That's really cool. But, uh, not but, but, um, oh, yeah. so <laughs> I'm not trying to say, oh, but, but ZFS. Uh, so how do you feel about the fact that uh, when ZFS does RAID, because the RAID system and the file system are tied together, you get much better recovery options in terms of failure? Does uh, NetApp have anything about that? Or? Well, NetApp, NetApp addresses those separately. Okay. Um, they have, I mean, they have consistency points and other things like that. But at the RAID level. Is it? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah Sorry. At, the, at the RAID level, what they do is they have, uh, they either do, and they're weird. They do RAID 4 mm -hmm. or RAID DP. And nobody else on the planet does RAID 4 because uh, just about everybody else would end up with a smoking hot disk. Remind me what RAID 4 is? RAID 4 is where you have a dedicated parity drive. Okay, right. And it, all parity updates have to be written to that drive. Right. Which, if you have just a regular block map SAN array, um, any time right? you touch any block on any of the disks, any of the twelve to, disks, any of the twelve disks right. or whatever, you have to update the parity disk. Right. So that becomes your instant bottleneck. You right. cannot write faster than that parity disk can right. update. Right. NetApp, because they do everything in RAM mm -hmm. and then commit atomically into hand motions here. For okay. Ben, so yes. you can't see the hand motions on the podcast, but they're really informative. I promise. <laughs> um, but every time you 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 buffer up writes in RAM, mm -hmm. when you commit those down. They're committing entire RAID stripes. Oh, cool! At a time. Oh, cool! So they don't care that they have a fixed parity drive because they calculated in RAM, bang, all of my all of my data and my parity writes all in one stripe across all of the disks at once, uh, and then they'll actually stack them. So they'll do like sixteen stripes at a time. Uh huh. So. But what if I? Is it possible that I would only want to update one drive at a time? Well, and that the that's uh, I, I, yeah. I did an operation that only required an update on one so, drive on one block. Let's okay, say. you okay. only have to update one block, okay. and it's data that was written just two seconds ago. I laid down a stripe, right. and I want to update one of those blocks. Right. That's where Waffle comes in. Mm -hmm. Even for regular writes, mm -hmm. every write, it writes new data mm -hmm. and it updates the pointer. Okay. So it would lay down an entire new stripe that includes that changed block and includes an update to the pointer table. But then you also have to go hook up the uh, the parity drive in that case, right? Well, it, it wrote it out in that stripe. And the stripe means because when you we, when you so did, he's he's drawing did, a line. It's a, it's a whole it's a whole new uh, it's a whole new set of data you're laying down every time you make a write. You're all laying the disks all get hit once. Set of data you're hitting all the disks. 
Okay. I still don't think that's as efficient. You probably you probably is. I'm probably just weird. But it's efficient in some ways. It's inefficient in others. Sure, sure. It's processor intensive uh -huh. uh, to a certain degree, but it allows NetApp to put a lot of really cool intelligent features in there, uh -huh. um, which for a long time it was NetApp doing really cool software stuff, because really they're a software company. Okay. The hardware is very commodity. It's not sure. very special. Sure, right. Um, but the, the software is special. Uh -huh. uh, and it was them doing weird optimized software stuff versus companies like Hitachi and EMC doing um, uh, doing just straight straight block mapping for the most part. Uh -huh. This block in one equals this block on a disk, and it was almost a hard it was it was a hard mapping in some systems at that time. Okay. So there was no intelligence there, and that's what most people are used to when they talk about SANS. So the NetApp it's a filer. It started out as serving files, so mm -hmm. it had a little bit different purpose in life, mm -hmm. so they built the file system different. Okay, um, now what the it's, hell is... It's definitely worth researching if you're interested in this kind what, of thing. What the hell is RAID DP? RAID DP, good thing That's not asked. Donkey Punch, right? No, it is not Donkey Punch. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, you don't have to give your, your data a black eye. Sure, right. Um, so, yeah, that's probably not, not a good idea. Um, RAID DP, DP, double parity. Okay. So RAID 4... Single parity, right? One parity drive, right? Raid DP, you ready? Two, two parity right. drives. So you get double. You redundant. get double the protection. You get Raid six, right? Effective protection, mm -hmm. because you have double the parity drives. NetApp allows you to have double the number of disks in the in the Raid array, so you don't actually lose a disk. Oh, interesting. You, so RAID 4 protection with one right. with one disk, right? You can only go up to like seven, but doesn't but that you can go up to sixteen if you have. Uh, oh, they DP. limit you the number of disks. Yes, because of failures. They do statistical analysis and figure out what the danger is and how big, how big a risk they're willing to let you take. So that's a business decision as opposed to a software limitation. I'm sure there's software limitations that underlie that to a certain degree, but uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, most, mostly it is about uh, the, 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 the statistical analysis on how frequently drives fail right. and what the chances are of you having an unrecoverable double drive failure right. as you add more disks. If you only have a single pair, catastrophic multi-catastrophic multi-drive failures become right. more probable. Right. Um, with 16 drives in a RAID DP array, mm -hmm. you have less chance of failure than if you had seven or seven or eight drives in a RAID four uh, array. Mm -hmm. um, and it's cool because it actually calculates the parity two different ways. It does it horizontally mm -hmm. and diagonally. Right. So uh, if you get any, if forward error correction with that. Are you familiar with that term? You're jargoning me. Oh, no. So uh, CDs do, so I took a, I don't know, some stupid, I took a networking class. And, he, and in the networking class, he talked about uh, error correction. And, uh -huh. what, and he, he talked about CDs because they have a, a cool algorithm. But they do the same thing where they, let's say you had 12 bits and you put them in a square and mm -hmm. you calculate a parity across the rows and a calculate a parity across the columns and you okay. calculate a parity at the corner of the row and column you just calculated. Right. And with that, if you have a single bit failure, you can correct it. Yes. In the future. Yes. And if you have two bits, you can detect it. Two or more bits, you can detect it. Yeah. And you can actually tweak knobs as to adding extra parity bits and being able to recover from two-bit errors and okay. detect three and above or, or whatever. Yeah, RAID DP, you can uh, survive a, a single drive failure and a bit error mm -hmm. or two-bit errors mm -hmm. on the same bit or... Right. Uh, two double or a uh -huh. double drive failure. So one of the things I've yeah. I've never known about MDADM, uh, so Linux yeah. RAID, is that if I have a an error, uh -huh. how does it know which drive to pull it off, and how does it have a checksum? 
and we don't know, right? And so that's what really appealed to me about ZFS is that there's also checksumming at the file system level, mm -hmm. even though the file system level and the RAID level are very similar and integrated. So you yep. get, I feel like a better checksumming. I feel like you have better recovery. Although I don't know because I've never recovered a, a ZFS because I can't get it to fucking run correctly on my send server. So, oh my God. So I was trying to compile the kernel. I went on this like one month tear where I was compiling the kernel with Zen support. I was tr starting on 64-bit, but it turns out it's horrible on 64-bit. Okay. And you have two options. You have Zen HVM, which means that it... It's hardware virtualization. Uh, yeah, so it knows... Yeah, HVM, and then you have a, a you have a PV kernel, so it's virtualized. It's par but it knows it's in it. It it's knows it knows it's in Zen, but it's very picky. Right. So you actually technically have three run modes. One run mode is I don't know what's going on. Next one is I know I'm in a VM, and then the other one is I'm less in a VM, sort of. Okay. I, so I, none PV and HVM. Well, you're always doing HVM unless you're doing PV. Uh, Zen server does not correct. However, doesn't, do, doesn't have an emulation mode like VMware does. Okay, well, hold on a second. So yeah. you're right. However, so you said uh, so. Not uh, you're always in PV. Oh, uh, HVM. You're always in HVM. I said that wrong. Unless you've loaded a PV kernel. Yeah. Right. So so forget what I said. So you're always in HVM. Yep. So that's the worst. Then you could have a an HVM kernel that knows about it, and then there's a PV okay. kernel. Yeah. So that way there's basically three possible kernel configurations. Right. With one of them requiring a, yeah, a configuration to your Zen config. Anyway, so it turned out to be such a nightmare. Well, and, and my understanding is the latest Linux kernels, uh -huh. they're actually starting to put more of the Zen stuff back in because there. Because everybody's on the cloud. Everybody's yeah. on EC2, right? Yeah, so KVM didn't actually win, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't think so. Because that's what uh, um, yeah Red Hat's Red Hat's been doing that. It, it, no, I, no, no, no. That's or, what uh, EC2 uses, and I would say EC2 is one. Amazon EC2 is one. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. And it, interestingly enough, uh, did you know they use commercial Zen server for part of Amazon EC2? No, that's cool though. The enterprise side of the cloud oh, uses okay. the commercial Zen server product from uh -huh. Citrix. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's awesome. So the, the increased supportability and features they're, they're actually yeah. taking advantage of that. That's good. I mean, I love I love Zen. I mean, I know there's a lot of. Uh, the other guys, virtual VMware guys out there, VMware, which yeah. is ESXi. ESXi. I don't have anything against it. I actually don't have it run it myself. I just like Zen, and that's, you know. Yeah, VMware is a fantastically powerful uh, tool. Uh, it's very common in enterprise environments. They, right. they wrote the book on virtualization. Right. Um, however, they have a, a harder game these days. They have to they have to compete with other players. All the open who, source. Johnny-come-latelys. Yeah. That, have uh, stood on the shoulders of giants, and yeah, uh, in yeah. some cases, that giant is VMware, yeah, and exactly. they're having to deal with all these midgets standing on their shoulders. Yeah, but uh, it's uh, it's it's propelled VMware forward as well. It's helped them grow um, a, as a company, and hopefully, the competition will will keep a nice, vibrant market going for us. Yeah. So, uh, so in college, I actually built an emulator myself. Uh -huh. um, we were using uh, VHDL, which is for FPGAs. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with any of that stuff or any experience. Or... I'm, I'm in Bitcoin, dude. I know what an FPGA uh, okay, is. Okay, sure, you know what an FPGA is. So basically I wrote a 4-bit CPU uh, uh -huh. on an FPGA. Okay. That was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, I think it was VHDL. I don't know, VHDL is a really, really cool language because uh, certain equal signs, like if you have, it's a block of code. This block of code will run sequentially, right. and the other equal signs just happen whenever. Huh. So if a signal changes, it just propagates through, and it doesn't have to go in execution order. Okay. Right? Because it's hardware. Right. So if you need to do something real time, you can. I mean, you can use the right. FPGA and, and right. leverage it and make it right. make it 
jump through hoops, spark, whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then if you want to do uh, the CPU stuff, it has blocks for that, and it kind of does little equations on that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I've even as non-technical as I am. Yeah. Uh, I actually have played around with and at least profiled a couple of the uh, the FPGA miners and the Linux tools. And, oh, cool. Yeah, played around with it. I've, I obviously don't have dev hardware, and uh-huh. I can't I can't get all the way through. But uh-huh. I, I wanted to see how this stuff worked, and it's really very interesting how those FPGAs have the different logic units. That yep. you can, and then a mesh, they wire all the wires together. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you yeah. can. And you can decide how you want to route things to a certain extent because some of the paths are faster than others. Yep. I, I learned a lot more about the internals of chip design uh, than I thought I ever would when I started getting into Bitcoin. That's really cool. So uh, Bitcoin conference. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. So Bitcoin. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're here at the Bitcoin conference. There's tons of uh, folks here. Well, there was tons of folks here before uh, the mm-hmm. midnight update to the hackathon. Yeah, right yeah, now, exactly. Not, not too many folks around. But anyway. the hackathon room's going strong. Yeah, the hackathon we've room's going strong. We've been... got tons of pizza. We've got a time-lapse camera on the wall. Oh, I saw that. And we've also been listening to uh, the Bitcoin. Oh, listen to Bitcoin.com, which has yeah. been fun. Listen to Bitcoin.com. So we got the, we got the, the, the chime, wind, the wind, wind chimes. Chi- yeah. Wind chimes of the Bitcoin network. Going. Uh, every transaction that blows through the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we hear that, and then the the blocks going every once in a while. And yeah, so are you a Bitcoin millionaire? Do you have tons of bitcoins? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a bit. I'm a Satoshi billionaire. How about uh. that? Because <laughs> uh, I, I got I got more than ten. But oh, that's uh, good. That's yeah. good. The the, uh, the the I've got some bitcoins. I've been uh, I basically when I first got into it, it was about ten dollars to buy bitcoins. Love it. Uh, which Don't. I thought was awesome. I should have bought more. Of course, I should have fucking taken a third mortgage on the house. Yeah, exactly. First, second, and third mortgage on the house. But right? yeah, that my my crystal ball isn't that good, so <laughs> I, I don't necessarily believe it's always going to work out for me because uh-huh. it doesn't always. So, do you think the value, like, I think the new floor is it's like one twenty three. I think the new floor is like one fifteen to one twelve. Is like the new floor, right? It's not going to yeah. really go below that, right? It feels like it. I mean, I think maybe if we if we had some really bad news or something, it might dip down. What the down, fuck? G- Gox got should, taken down or it whatever? Should refer, it should revert back up uh, relatively quickly. I think the number of people using it, there's just too much pressure on uh, on the on the on the uh, on the too much pressure from buyers on the sellers uh, to to get their bitcoins from them. So sellers, of course, are going to charge more. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, Goss got long, taken down, yeah. and uh, or not oh, taken down, but the yeah, transferring. Yeah, don't, don't spread that one. Oh, they whatever. didn't get taken down. They whatever. Got, they lost two two bank accounts. Yeah. So they they lost one bank. But account, you can't get money into it right now, right? Account. Well, no, you can get money into it. You can still wire transfer to Gox. Okay. You can also, if you do have money in Dwalo that you were planning on sending to Gox, and you you waited for it to get verified for four days, and now you're all annoyed. You can Dwala over to BitInstant, mm-hmm. who can send the money to Gox. Gotcha. So there is, there are still paths to fund into Mount Gox, um, and of course, there's Coinbase and Bitstamp, and uh, uh, there's three new exchanges that I'm learning about here this week. I mean, so there's tons of other exchanges to use. So uh-huh. check out those uh-huh. too. If so you're what were some of the cool things? Some of the cool things you saw today and yesterday. So um, let's see uh, the. 
the Butterfly Labs guys. Love they got it. hardware, which is I love awesome. It. And you know, uh, do you have any one of those? Have you bought one of those yet? Yeah, I'm waiting. Me too. There yeah, you go, everybody. So I've been waiting since August for mine. Cool. Uh, so, uh, and I actually, I did purchase a pre-order from somebody. So I'm gonna. I have. I've been waiting. Wait, since you have two? Is that September. one or two? I've been waiting since September for a July order. Ah, um, cool. So yeah. So I got. I got two units coming. One jalapeno and one single. Cool. Um, and then uh, I did have some orders in with Tom and his BFT BF. TFPGA or TCFPGA. Tell me about that. Uh, so it was another uh, another company that was going to be producing an ASIC. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a single guy that was running it for the most part. Uh, he brought on some help near the end, but unfortunately he didn't have, it was either not enough capital, not enough uh, time and resources, not sure exactly what the bottleneck was, but he wasn't able to put it together in the end. Did he return the shares? or He returned everybody's credit, everybody who paid with credit card, uh, he paid it back right away. My understanding is the people that paid with Bitcoin didn't get paid back right away, but he's either working on or has paid them off. I, I just got to mine until he'll get it back because he spent, he went to, Ve- he went to Bit Vegas in the interim, right? <laughs> he may have gone to Bit Vegas. We don't know, uh, but uh, yeah, he he he's definitely making good effort to uh-huh. to, to fix what happened during that and scenario. Which camp were you in? Which what do you mean? Credit card or Bitcoin? Credit card. Okay, that's good. Yeah, uh, it, it, I mean, it, as as awesome as Bitcoin is, uh, if you're not sure about doing business with somebody uh, and you're really nervous about it or you're spending a lot of money. Using a credit card does give you more protection as a consumer. Yeah. So it's sometimes yeah. still worth it, even as a Bitcoin enthusiast, right. to so, pull out the old-fashioned ways. So today I bought my first item was a shirt. I already talked about it on oh, yeah? the podcast uh, by myself in the corner like a loser. But now I have another human being. So yeah. what have you bought What have you bought with Bitcoins? Let's see. Uh, I have bought a tie pin that I don't have with me today. Uh-huh. Uh, How much was that? Uh, 0.15 Bitcoin at That's the time. That's a lot of money. It was... Forty-five dollar bitcoins. Yeah. So it was it was quite a bit less. It was, it was relatively inexpensive. I don't know what they are right now, um, but uh, yeah, he he pegs his to uh, dollars or euros. So, oh yeah. Yeah, they float. Um, uh, there, I got a. Uh, I've bought three shirts now. Uh, when uh, the gift announcement came out, uh-huh. GYFT gift right. allows That's a cool you to, app. Yeah. Allows you to yep. buy yep. gift cards with bitcoins, which is freaking cool, which mm-hmm. means you could spend bitcoins way more places than you could before that was available. Um, I bought a, an Android device. I didn't have an Android device, and it was only available on Android at the time. So I actually went on to bitcoinstore.com, mm-hmm. and I bought an Asus transformer pad. Oh, cool. Uh, which was cool. Uh, I paid my four and change bitcoins, however much it was. And three days later, I had my uh, and, uh, thing in my And how do you like hands. that? That's an Android uh, it's tablet? It's a cool little Android device. It's got a, a keyboard dock on it that's removable. The thing I really like about it is I'm going to use it for conferences and taking notes and stuff. How many, how many hours? It's supposed to give me 15 hours Love of battery. It. Which Love means it. even if they over, even if they underestimated by 50%, yeah. it should handle the average conference yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Cool. And so you, in the beginning of the hackathon, we were on that, and you were like, fuck it, I got a real computer. So you went up to your suite and got a computer. So, yep. yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, uh, I, I did not buy it for programming. <laughs> I, I have discovered that right now with the device, with the keyboard and mouse that, that, that was on it, uh, and the small size of the screen and the lack of local programs. Yeah, it was cool. not a programming platform. And uh, have you bought anything here at the conference? Yeah, two shirts. Uh, oh, and I joined the Bitcoin Foundation. Oh, cool. How much did you give them? Uh, I, get, I went ahead and did a lifetime membership, so 2.1 Bitcoins. Ah, and is that based on cash or is that do they just an arbitrary? Uh, they set the price every once in a while. And so what does that give you? What does that mean? Um, my name is on their thing and I have a sticker. 
Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what other rights and privileges that may mean down the road. I do have the ability now to vote for the Stuff. the the members of the board that are elected by the people individuals. Yeah, there's there's three classes of people on the board. Oh, really? I don't remember the third one, but there's is God one. is like a God no, class. No, no. <laughs> no, that's Satoshi. We don't have him. Um, the, there's a, there's an individual class, uh-huh. uh, and then there's also a business class. Uh-huh. So uh, like uh, uh, Coin Lab and Coinbase and uh, okay, business class. And th- right. th- those organizations uh, basically can have their own votes, and then. I can't remember the third class, but there's a third group of uh, people as well. So it, the, the structure of the foundation, I, I like it because they are trying to balance uh-huh. the different groups in the, in, uh, in the Bitcoin world, uh, which is important because we do have multiple pressures going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, mining. That's the third group. Yeah. Mining representatives. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. So, yeah, man, I had a crazy media day today. I, I gave my card to someone. Uh, they were a bunch of freedom-loving hippies who want to transform the government. Awesome. And I was talking about Join Me, and I, they wanted they want to use Join Me for flash mobs and other crazy things, which I may or may not condone, and that's fine with me because it's, it's my platform or whatever. So I gave this guy my card, and he was like, oh, so cool. And I'm in the hackathon, and I got a call on my phone from some number I never heard of, and this guy's like, hey, Ben, we have two minutes till we're on air on this really big podcast. Come on up to the front stage. So I ran up and did a show. Um, I don't remember the name of the podcast. Podcast, but it was on XM Radio and syndicated out on a live stream, and then the podcast will be up tonight, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, that's crazy. And it was run like a radio show; like they would come back from commercial break, and then the stream was on. Yep. And I think there was some switcher upstream that was also maintaining a switch from multiple uh, other radio shows after they tore down. Yep. They went to other live radio shows, so it's pretty nuts. Wow! Uh, and then there was a movie. A documentary being filmed, but just not like a crazy film crew, just one guy with a camera, um, called Will You Be a Trillion? Bitcoin Trillionaire? What was it called? I didn't get the title. No, this guy. I didn't get the title. Oh, something about trillionaires. Oh, cool. Or will, or, or will are we, we amongst tr- trillionaires or something yeah, like that? Yeah, okay. okay. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the whole premise is uh, because Bitcoin may spike to a hundred thousand a million dollars bitcoin something something big like that theoretically but i i so i end up with some people with some massive amounts of money so i fucking i did a brain dump on that guy i'm sure you heard me just talking and talking and talking and talking but it's funny because the premise of the the documentary is will you be a trillionaire or are we amongst trillionaires um whatever the working title is um but uh if you were a trillionaire it would be in fiat currency which doesn't I mean it matters? Well, the question can, is: When there's trillionaires, will it matter that they're trillionaires, or will they be equivalent to billionaires or millionaires where they are now? Right. So or will they just have you know they had you know hundred thousand bitcoins. They are a trillionaire in fiat currency, but they have hundred thousand bitcoins, and they live on an island that just takes bitcoins. So it doesn't matter what the USD conversion rate is. Yeah, possibly. Right. right? Although generally, I believe that uh, the the fiat value of items. Mm-hmm. Uh, will generally match and, and at the conversion rate. So if it's worth, let's say, let's remove inflation and the, the okay. specter of possible mm-hmm. hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. So if a Bitcoin is worth $100,000, dollars okay. um, then even if you're on an island someplace, you have the purchasing power of $100,000 for every Bitcoin that you have. For USD, right? But- right, for USD. But that may not be relevant for buying fish at the market on your island. Right. But if you're buying uh, imported oil, 
okay. or you're buying anything fruit on the or U.S. market, or anything on the U.S. market, or anything in the European market, you're going to be marked against that fiat you're, currency. Yeah, you're you're going back to the fiat currency. That's world. a good point. The, the only time that you're ever going to get totally away from fiat currency is going to be when you have a full Bitcoin enabled supply chain. Sort of like yeah, and an isolation to the point a large yeah, enough isolation where, where you have mining and. Timber cutting and other things like that. that mining are like. For with like real mining. Yeah, yeah gotta like say that. stuff out of the ground. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, when you have from the raw resource uh, extraction or creation mm-hmm. to the initial processing, refining, whatever, to the manufacturing of the bulk items, the big boards or the barrels of oil, to the uh, manufacturing of the uh, actual goods, tables and chairs or whatever, to the selling of those in a store, to the interior decorator telling you what to pick out. I mean, once you got that whole supply chain all the way to the end consumer, Bitcoin end to end, then you're not talking about the fiat currency necessarily. But it's still there's still some sort of uh, there's some sort of pin mm-hmm. that has to be there. It's a reference. It's because, a tie. Yeah, right. Right. Because Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin could potentially become a pin and become that stable. Right. Where it, we just know that it's worth. I mean, uh, it, it's gold. worth two hundred pounds of gold or right. something. Right. Yeah. But it, there's always going to have to be some sort of peg that we're measuring things against. Uh, well, at least today, to, right? To certain, the next generation, yeah. assuming adoption is uh, huge. Unless we go 100% Bitcoin everywhere. Well, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, Sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's interesting. So did you listen to what I was talking about in the interview? Or were you watching me at all? Yes, I, I was. Um, and uh, I actually have one um, that uh, is kind of interesting. I sent you a link on this. You okay. might want to okay, attach sure. it to the podcast. Sure. Um, one of the things you were talking about was the regression theorem of money, okay. which is the theory that uh, back in the day, People had stuff that other people wanted, right. and they got together and they bartered, right. and then they figured out, hey, this barter thing sucks. We right. need an intermediate currency so right. that I can buy fruit right. because it spoils. I can't just trade fruit for for grain in the winter because right. the fruit's gone by that time the winter mm-hmm. comes. So I need something right. to do that. So that that's the that's called the regression theorem of money. It's it's a it's a, it's a it's an origin story for money. Okay. Um, Interestingly enough, I've run across several things recently. I can't remember the name of the author right now, but uh, I've run across several things recently that point to work that anthropologists have been doing, mm-hmm. actually studying real human populations right, of course. and how they, uh, how they interact and trade things back and forth. And it turns out that that regression theorem of money, while it's a really neat story. theory, it's, right. a, it's a great story, mm-hmm. and it makes a lot of sense if you're sitting in a, in a, in a basement or a college sure. campus somewhere, um, it doesn't actually happen in the real world. Mm-hmm. The primitive cultures that have been found that don't have uh, the concept of money mm-hmm. still have uh, gifts and debts and credit that mm-hmm. they are managing with some sort of symbolic mechanism. So whether it's a ledger or what, whatever, or guilt right. or whatever, yeah, I mean, because or it, public knowledge is the blockchain of who owes who, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, I, hey, I gave you six fish six months ago, so I, I need that pig. 
Uh, or, or, well, that's kind of a crappy exchange rate, but, well, yeah. you know, it could be a really skinny pig. It or could be a skinny pig, or it could have been marlins. Fucking yeah. huge fish, yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, so that that uh, is really interesting. The, the place where you find barter mm-hmm. is places where there was money, mm-hmm. and the money failed. Mm-hmm. So, um, in Greece, mm-hmm. right. uh, there's people doing a lot of barter. Right. But even to do that barter, mm-hmm. they have to figure out, okay, I have a pound of flour. Which is worth this much currency, now let's barter. Now let's barter. Which and is still the pin. Say, and right. you have, and you, yeah, you have bananas, right. and they're worth X amount of currency, so we figure out how many bananas I get for my right. grain, but we use that pin. Right. Because socially, we, we need something to go off of, uh-huh. and we're used to money. Uh-huh. So, are, is so that, does that mean that as, as human beings, we need to put a number on something before we, we, we can trade to. it? Yeah. Well, so it, it's a unit. It's a it, it, it's a that, unit, right? Yeah. That's that's. I mean, that's one of the things it's about. Is uh, we need to. We want it to be fair. We we inherently want things to be fair. Right. Which means if I give you five, mm-hmm. I want to get five back. Right. If I give you ten, I want to get ten back. Right, but but or if you do five worth of work, right, I, I want to give you five. But it's a number, though, right? Is it intrinsically a number? Do you think? Uh, I th- I think loose quantities and like enough food to feed somebody for a period of time. But that's or one like meal. That. But it is right. It is, it is some sort of abstract quantity of some sort. Yes, it right. does seem to seem to be that. And interestingly enough, the other place that money comes in a lot is from legal systems and taxation. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was money back all the way in Mesopotamia. Sure. And uh, it was invented by the folks who wanted to collect taxes. Right, those bastards. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, you, uh, well, and they actually used uh, uh, usury. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you oh, had, what's that? It, it, you are charged for using something. So they actually had, uh, like, you'd get a lease on land. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't buy the land, but you'd, you'd, you'd lease rent it or it rent it, it, right? Okay. Um, and uh, and then you would have to pay, uh, and this is this is an interesting one. You'd have, Keep going. You'd have to pay uh, for the lambs. You'd have to pay lambs, mm-hmm. like baby sheep. Yeah, got it. Yeah. It, it came from herder Mesopotamian, uh, 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 right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So if if somebody was borrowing a whole bunch of sheep from you, mm-hmm. you said, well, you can take care of the sheep, mm-hmm. but I get all the lambs, right? So they did the same thing with land, uh-huh. and they actually used the same word. Lambs, yeah. Yeah, so you'd pay rent, uh-huh, uh-huh. and that was the lambs. So does uh, that mean that you, if you're running crops, you get... And the government owned all the land. Okay, but does that mean that if you're running crops, the government gets it, or they just said you owe us a currency? Or, or they get you, you owe them that currency amount worth of right. what you grow. Right. Whether you grow ten times that, right. or... Nothing 5% more than that or right. less that right. you owe the government money and they right. throw you in jail. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, they had that kind of a concept. That's really cool. Um, well, I didn't know that. Um, I'd be happy. So yeah. my, uh, Sam has another stuff there. Uh, what? Uh, it's, there's just neat stuff that anthropologists have uncovered sure. around that. So I'm sure, uh, Sam, uh, you better be listening to this right now, Sam, but Sam is, uh, listening to this and hopefully we can talk about that. I'll, I'll, I would be interested. I will, I will put the links in the show notes. Um, but I'm interested in putting the book uh, the author in, yeah. um, uh, at least writing it down. Um, cause we have a couple books. Da- oh, David Graeber. Okay. We have a couple books we've read. We've both, we've all read the lean startup and we've all read the four hour work week. So uh-huh. it's a couple of cool things that we, you know, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, anything else before we wrap up here? I don't know. You talked me out pretty good. Okay, cool. Well, uh, again, this is Ben and rich and we're here at the uh, Bitcoin hackathon and, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Wow, guys. So that was um, Rich Brumpton um, talking. Uh, One of the things he mentioned was listen to Bitcoin. So as I'm editing the show, I'm listening to the Bitcoin 
uh, listen to Bitcoin.com, you might be able to hear that. I hope it's not super annoying to uh, have that going on in the background. Um, so definitely check the show notes for the uh, regression theorem of money that Rich mentioned. Um, up next is a clip. I'm a little bit embarrassed about this. I'm sorry, guys. I'm talking really fast. Um, I just basically mainlined a bunch of Red Bull. And if you don't know what mainline means, that means like, you know, insert into your body. I'm sure you can figure that out. So I was drinking a lot of Red Bull and I've been up super late. I was up real late the night before driving Cash Hill home. And then I went and partied in the city with my buddies. Um, so I was on like zero sleep fueled by caffeine. And also I had some alcohol. So if I'm a little bit loopy, you can just make fun of me. You can just be like, haha, Ben's an idiot. I might lose my track. Um, yeah, so up next uh, was another cool guy, and take a listen to that. <laughs> What's up, guys? This is Ben from the Port Forward Podcast. I am here with uh, PX, and we're talking about the Bitcoin. So tell me about Bitcoin. What's the coolest thing you saw here, dude? It's a cool thing. Yeah, what's the coolest thing you saw, dude? This is a cool conference, right? I mean, this is fucking... Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. I don't, I don't know. I, I like a, it's a lot of the fun... Uh, projects people are working on there like uh, so you're like the hackathon room oh yeah yeah hackathon room is definitely uh the uh, the fun place to hang out cool so right now it's um it's past four okay uh-huh. and you know my project and i've been telling everybody my project i talked actually on the last podcast so mm-hmm. i'm doing payments for bitcoin uh basically uh, coding you code we give you bitcoin connected to git that's the basics mm-hmm. and uh mr px here was like i just want to work on something that's going to help coders get paid for what they do and he's like i you know i'm able to do what i do and live like you're able to live on what you your profession yeah. right yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh so you so tell me a little bit about yourself if you want well i i work as a security engineer on uh linux-based systems i do some penetration testing i do uh a lot of platform analysis for uh, different open source projects. And cool, cool. So, I, I've used Backtrack. Is that fun for you? Ba- Backtrack is kind of neat. I mean, Backtrack is essentially like a modified Ubuntu with the right tools installed. Right, literally, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to uh, install those tools mostly, but mm-hmm. I've definitely been interested in a lot of the directions that they've been going with Kali recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Ka- Kali definitely, and I mean... That, that's, uh, the, uh, that's the... Uh, it's the next Backtrack. It's is, like, is it, and is it run on Pi or no? No, it's actually no, no different. It's just the next Backtrack. They prob- named it. There probably is like a Pi thing or whatever. Okay, sorry. I, I got confused, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I mean, it looks much more like a, a mature distro uh-huh. as opposed to just kind of like a hack together, like, you know, you put in like whatever the, like, tour is your password or whatever, mm-hmm. and it uh, does that. So. so I'm a big fan of, like, building systems. Like, have you used SuStudio before? So, SUSE Studio is really cool. You log in and you say new machine, and it's the most recent SUSE. And you choose all the packages you want. Say, you want graphical, non graphical. You can search for all the packages and you say build. It'll give you ISO, any VM you want, and you can run it in the cloud for one hour with no internet. So, you can actually boot it and run test scripts on it. Okay. Okay. And so what you do is you then publish your SUSE Studio uh-huh. and you can share it. And you're like, this is the ISO I just built. Uh-huh. And they had a social network. I never really caught on, but it's so cool. And it's still there, right? Uh-huh. So um, I wanted to build, I wanted to back up uh, my Mac. Mm-hmm. And there was, at the time I was on one of the earlier ones and there wasn't really support for network backup with Time Machine. I was like, oh, I might as well use the native Steve Jobs thing. It'll probably work the best, but I'm just going to trick the storage layer, right? Uh-huh. And so I built a SUSE Studio image that... Uh, was basically a time machine server. So it would serve for time machine. You put it in a VM, put it wherever you want. So you put it on the biggest computer you had. You just burn the ISO, install it, and it was like a one clip just go. Uh-huh. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool system. Oh yeah, yeah, super neat. I think uh, I think a lot of that is based off of like some of like the OBS stuff. Like they have, like, what, tell me about OBS. They've, they've got like the open uh, 
Well, it was like the OpenSUSE build service or whatever. Yeah, exactly. The, no, they're, t they're together and they yeah, both still work. Yeah. They both are still running, which is so cool. No, so. build.opensuse.org or whatever mm -hmm. it is. is a, it's a very cool project. Open and, source build service. And yeah, we, What's so, What do you like about it? What's cool about it? I mean, just the fact that, you know, you can, uh, you know, upload tarballs, upload the little spec file or whatever, and things get built. And to so, how many platforms? Well, as many as you want. I mean, it, it actually... Uh, I guess OBS now is even like supporting like Windows and like all sorts of crazy stuff. That's really cool. So yeah, I mean you can literally like upload like an Nmap tarball and you know it'll give you repositories, things that you can download for like whatever platform you want, and like Ubuntu repositories. And, and, dude, I just I just took my idea to the next level. So what do they also do? They do mm -hmm. error reporting. So mm -hmm. if you don't build on the latest version of Gentoo, they will give you error reporting, right? Mm -hmm. So you could generate bug bounties from those error reports. Do my startup on their on their. Uh, GitHubs, and then you fund people to go and fix those bug bounties so that all the builds are working clean. So now you just ported a package, so you know Gentoo really well, and they don't know it, and they built a package and it doesn't run for you, but you can know how to fix it. So you could get patched, you get paid bitcoins, yeah. and it works for you. Actually, it would be really cool to have like a like a Jira add-on or something. Like That's a, what I said, and you yeah. looked at me with a funny face. I was like, Jira, yeah. yeah no, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we were miscommunicating, but it was fun. Jira with GitHub, and they're, they're, that would be kind of kind of confusing. They already have that, you know. Well, sure, sure. Well, but. have you heard of Glass? The Glass plugin for Jira. So we, I run Jira, okay, yeah. and we hate yeah. Jira. I can tell you some. I, you know, guys, I have a war story. It's about Jira. I'm not going to say now. I like a war story. Fuck uh -huh. Jira. We love it. We fucking hate it. Okay. Yeah. So you have your uh, Jira running. You have your GitHub running, and you download the Glass plugin. Mm -hmm. And now bug bounties can view source. So basically, it pulls the source, and it's called Glass because it just clips the source. So you can see the source code that has the bug that needs to be fixed on the bounty. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it is. It is actually Jira and GitHub connected. And so when you give me that face, I was like, yeah. it's out there. <laughs> no, no, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I know, um, I mean, Jira is supposedly, you know, they've got a pretty, uh, like, sensible API or whatever, and you can, you can write a little... By the way, attack whatever. surface of Jira? Oh, my gosh. You're like, yeah. Now, I've, I've, I've been in many, many meetings with uh, security people at the Palazzo, and it's, uh, they're trying really hard, uh, but they've got a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to do. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was a system that was designed in an era before... A lot of these bug classes even existed. And What's so, a bug class? Um, things like cross-eye scripting. Um, oh, CSX, CSS, yeah. yeah. Rails has a really good guide about how to prevent it in Rails because they have mm -hmm. such a big attack service. Yeah. And I actually found it as a really good programmer's description of what it is. Because I'm still a little bit fuzzy. Um, I run, you're familiar with cross-origin resource sharing. Yeah, yeah. So as a, I'm a developer, right? And so I have to turn cores on on my JSON objects. I don't know if you've done that before. Not too much. Okay, but I've so definitely. I've, I mean, I've read specs. So I'm so uh, for joining me. What I built is it's, it's a Spring uh, server, and it's only serving JSON. So all it does is serve JSON. It's all authenticated. So that's there's no like HTML or like attack service of their their template system or whatever. And then I had to make it run on JavaScript, iOS, Android, and JavaScript inside Facebook. Okay, so now I have to make sure my JSON objects work on all those platforms. Turn on cores. Such a nightmare, dude. Mm -hmm. But that's where that's like that's where I come at at the, that side from. So, but I mean, you got to do it too. On, on the other hand, I mean, because a lot of those issues, you know, if you're even slightly sloppy with some of that, you can expose users to so much, so much uh, badness that you know. Yeah, it's so 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 again. So another cool thing that I think all of you there in podcast land should know is that I've been running around yelling at people, saying, "Give me a um, give me a balance sheet for one year of what it's going to cost to pay you. Like, what do you want? Balance sheet one year." And some people have been kind of being like, "What are you what are you doing?" But I'm like, if you calculate how much money it takes to pay yourself, right, and you can fill that many bitcoins or make that many bitcoins, 
you have a business plan or a life plan. Like you just planned your own whatever. And it's all math. It's can I afford, mm-hmm. can I take as many bug bounties? Well, that would be, you would have like user profiles. And the more bug bounties you take down, it, the cooler you were. Or you didn't have to have a profile, right? Mm-hmm. And so then um, I had a better idea. Oh, so you could have a social network with people or you could have like a rating mm-hmm. of like your bug bounty. And that would just be like cool, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you see, that's the thing is um, when it comes to security, uh, there are not enough competent security researchers to work at every company. I am not one of those people. I'm not a competent security researcher. I'm sure I've written many a bug. In fact, I know I have. And so it's really cool to see people on my side of the bridge communicating with people on your side of the bridge Mm -hmm. and being like, how can we work together? How can, like, that would be cool if it was a, uh, a matcher. Yeah. So I, I would. I mean, that's where the the distributed system kind of thing. Comes oh, it's okay. So if you give not, it, yeah. not everyone's lucky enough to have security people that can work in house for their products, and so if you have, uh, okay, it's a consulting, and you don't need to pay for it twenty four seven. You yeah. just need to pay that person's salary and, for a and bit, if companies right? Companies are only paying for bugs. Mm-hmm. Then they know that you know they're actually you know doing good things because the worst thing ever is you know when a company pays you know uh, you know fifty eighty thousand dollars whatever for an engagement. And they get no bugs out of it. I so mean, it's and like th- a, and that happens. That happens. And that's a fixed contract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as opposed to uh, with like Disney, that happened to Disney. Or not Disney. Who's a good? Who's a good security? I don't know. Some someone that knows what they're doing. Oracle, mm-hmm. maybe not Oracle. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. Oracle's kind of kind of crazy. But uh, yeah. I mean, the, those kind of things are you know pretty risky, and the engagements are so short term that you know it doesn't really happen. But you look at okay, so uh, so this, so I listened to another podcast, uh, and they they talk about uh, pen testing, and actually the the guy's name is Chris Fisher. He's awesome. He is he has lots and lots of users, and whenever I go and interview on his podcast, I get like boosts in my podcast. So he's a really cool guy. Okay, and he used to do pen testing uh, as a consultant, and um, uh, I had something I was going, but he's a, he's a really cool guy, uh, and. It's really cool to see again, like I said, my side. You know, what's uh, what's the? Mi- it's not a mixer. It's like a you know, it's a connector. It's a market, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I knew where I was going with that. So the internet is anonymous already, right? So Bitcoin works so well on it. And for those kind of transactions, it's really good to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you try to, there was a, actually a story on one of his. Uh, a caller called in and said, "I want to pen test my college." But it, they won't let me, or should I contact them, or should I not do it? And they said, well, if you tell them about it and try to get paid for it, like as a consultant, because he wants to get paid not in a bad way, but in a good way. Yeah. He, they said it was they the most risky thing. Right, and it's the most risky thing. So you have to have a pre-signed contract in order to absolve yourself mm-hmm. of working with that company. And therefore, it's really hard to do to open up to everybody. So if that person can help you and do bug bounties, right? I mean, there's, it's, and it's yeah. all anonymous, right? So you don't have to deal with that. Well, I mean, that's the thing is um, Google... Uh, Google's been doing bug bounties for a while now, and it's been hugely successful. And some people say, like, oh, you know, they've only paid out, you know... X dollars, but it's incentive. But it's incentive, right? That That's how, how little they paid out compared to how much they could have paid out. Like, they could have paid... I mean, even if they paid, like, millions and millions and millions to all of the top security firms, they wouldn't have gotten the quality. Because they didn't have the top 0% of security guys. They had yeah. the top 99%, well, and the right? the thing is, you know, some... Some, you know, like 15-year-old kid in Malaysia can find bugs and... By accident, and he, yeah. he buffer overflows it, and now it's running code on his little fucking thing, and it's like, what's going well, on? And, and a lot of those people, a lot of the very sharp people are actually, you know, they're very socially responsible people as well, that, you know, they want to make the world a safer place. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities for Bitcoin in there, because paying some kid in Malaysia is very difficult for some, you know, Fortune 500 company in the U.S. Right. So uh, my buddy went to the Peace Corps mm-hmm. uh, for two years. He went to Africa. Mm-hmm. And for the first half, he had no internet, and he was teaching English. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I forgot to, I, I always tell the story, but I forget to say that, um, okay, anyway, so he was there. He gets internet, mm-hmm. and he starts 
contacting me and he's got some t- like a year left on his shit and I'm like dude I want to pay you he's super bored right he's a really brilliant guy I'm like dude I want to pay you and so we ended up negotiating a Bitcoin contract and also he said can you help basically he said can you give me charity to my village and I said okay he said I need this many sticks of RAM for Windows XP I think I gave him a bunch of four I think I gave him like a bunch of memory mm-hmm. and he got to put one gig on all these old XP machines awesome. and that village I fucking helped that village learn computers like for like what $120 so now we can fucking outsource to those motherfuckers and just take over the world no I'm just kidding but you know that's cool, right? That's a yeah. connection. Yeah. I mean, and people are smart no matter where they're born. Well, because we're and human beings, right? We're not yeah. fucking monkeys, right? Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. It's crazy, like, how, you know, if, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, under, underprivileged areas that, you know, the, the reason why we can't pay them is because, you know, they've got... Credit card a, fees. Well, they've got, transport, they, transport they've got stuff, such a corrupt government system and such corrupt banking systems in their local country. That their fiat currency is worthless and yeah. it wouldn't put any money into it. It's just so risky, right? So, so if, if you can completely bypass those models, I think that that would be huge because, you know, that so, enables... So what do you think about Bitcoin? I've seen Bitcoins that are sealed into a card. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about those? Oh, I like them. I mean, so they're paper Bitcoins, right? I think, I think of them kind of like a piggy bank. Uh, a paper. See, I want to get one of those because it's either that one or another kind of wallet because it's good for storage. It's good for. Is it good? Would you invest and then? I don't know. Did you do you watch James Bond? Did you I, see the, I, the I, most recent James Bond? He's gambling. Skyfall. Sky, uh, before that, I guess the uh, Casino Royale. I'm not sure if I saw that. One. Anyway, so they're they're betting a million dollar things, and the million dollars is like a plastic note. It's like a oh, note yeah. for the casino, but uh-huh. that's what they play with on the table. Yeah. And so you could have a Bitcoin that was like super valuable, and that's. In the movie, they're in, they're, that's how they hold their shit. So it's interesting that, you know, mm-hmm. that could be a paper wallet. could be like a... Well, it's totally feasible to have, like, massive numbers of Bitcoins and little tiny little plastic things even. Or plastic offline, right. Or, you know. so, there, so there was a company here that was really interesting mm-hmm. that made a glass QR code. Uh, not, I don't know if it was QR code. I didn't actually see what the encoding medium was, but it was a glass bead mm-hmm. that had the, the thing in it, and you have to break it open to get out the code. Was that the bracelets? Yeah, the bracelets, right. Yeah, those look pretty cool. I didn't see, did you actually see the encoding medium? I just saw the public key, and no, that was it. No, okay, so said, that's... They said they were still getting them in, and they'd be whatever, done tonight. Whatever, or, yeah. yeah. Whatever. So... If that's cool, I told him, I was like, listen, dude, put it in your fucking molar. That's the sickest thing ever, right? <laughs> like, why not, dude? Huh? Like, huh? I mean, that's like, I don't know, if Duke Nukem 3D, I don't know if you played that game. Uh, no. That in the beginning, he pulls a molar out, and it's his molar nuke. He's got a nuclear bomb in his molar, and he, like, what? busts out. It's like a little one, he, like, busts out of jail. He's like, oh, and he, like, starts playing the game. Nice. So, Bitcoin, a molar, I mean, why not, right? Mm-hmm. So, that was my idea. I told him that. I was like, fucking do it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So... Yeah. Did so, you like that as, as no, far like as you drill it into the back of your tooth or something? Yeah, there's got to be a... Well, okay, so check this out, right? So uh, I was raised Christian. Oh, how do you feel about religion? Can we talk about religion? That's fairly neutral for people like us, right? Uh, okie dokie. Do you like, are you a religious or atheist? No, or? I mean, uh, my, my, my parents grew up in a bad part of Texas that uh, they got the hell out of and moved to Portland. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my parents very much rebelled against a lot of the Perfect. religious... Uh, I bring there, so I wasn't introduced to anything when I was younger until maybe I was like six or seven, and they started, you know, buying me books on like Norse mythology and whatever else. And so, I don't know. I I, I had a fun uh, spiritual upbringing, but yeah, me too. I was I went to Jesus camp. I did all that fun stuff, and now I'm an atheist. It's so cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that that Jesus camp movie like blows me away. Like I, I love that movie. Dude, dude, high five, real life high five. Uh.
Love that movie. I have never been more disturbed by a movie ever. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the whole, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole notion of corrupting children in such a way like that is so ridiculous. And it's so funny because I had this girl, and she was my girlfriend, and mm-hmm. she was super religious, and I was I was raised super religious, mm-hmm. and I kind of went my other ways, mm-hmm. and we had we had so many spiritual discussions. It was really really cool, mm-hmm. right? But what it really came down to for me was like, well, if you were born in one of these third world countries, what do you believe in? And if you're born as a Jew or any of the other you know religions, what do you believe? You know, Allah, whatever it is. And it's what your parents tell you. And the movie highlights how that disease can get soup, like the worst of that disease, right? Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure, I mean, there's a lot of great things that have happened because of Christianity. Of course, donations, mm-hmm. right? Uh, big, I, and uh, I know that uh, missionaries, Christian missionaries, are using Bitcoin to fund themselves in China because it's illegal to deal in local currencies, okay. right? And I personally don't support that, and I think they're corrupting children, but that's what they want to do, and I support them using the network. Like, fuck it. This is our fucking economy, and we can do what the fuck we want, right? So No, but I mean, even a lot of like the early, uh, like the early philosophies and whatever were all based on, you know, uh, pr- proofs of God is, God's existence or whatever, and then how, like, you know, what kind of relationship... How can we tweak uh, reality, physics, to make it of how God exists, and, right? And that's where modern logic comes from. That's the roots of modern logic. It's trying to break Christianity, <laughs> trying to solve the Bitcoin block of Christianity and figure out the secret. Well, a lot of them were proofs that God exists, which is very interesting. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it taught us a lot about, you know, logical flaws. And uh, uh, paradoxes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then, you know, proof by contradiction and all the, the basic fundamental, you know, Boolean logic. blocks of Boolean logic and everything, yeah. 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 So That's cool, yeah. man. So, yeah. uh... Here's a Bitcoin question. So when you're hashing, uh, you have to solve this many zeros in the beginning of the hash when you're mining, okay? Do you th- what do you think the memory operation they're doing is to compare? Do you think they're comparing the strings or they're doing like a Boolean or or a Boolean? Like how do you think they're comparing your hash that you made to what you know you have to get and say so you win or not? Like there's an if statement there, right? So mm-hmm. what, what operation do you think that the CPU is executing to say, oh, I win? Like once you hit that mm-hmm. <laughs> return true or whatever, you're like, oh, I won. I, I would imagine it's uh, doing a, you know, Probably a word by word, no, probably like by 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 comparison on the zeros or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, because then you know you can bail out the moment you see something that's not right. And so, uh, a majority. If you do it by by by, you know, there's like a you know, 255 and 256 chance that it's going to bail out, uh, and then it becomes significantly more likely at every uh, iteration. Cool. Yeah. I mean, and you can even keep on hashing. While I, so, you're so I don't. Is that is that true? Is that how it works? Or I don't know. I would think that you would just do a boolean and, and you have to say a mass. So this is the mask, and it has to and out, and you only have to actually do the upper part of the and because you don't actually have to run the rest of the register. So you just have a register that was all zeros anyways. You or in this many bits, you do a boolean and, and then you see if you have the result or not, and it, it gets you down to a single boolean, true or false. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like you know, a jump of zero or whatever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So jump of zero, what's that? Is, that? is that a sled? There's a J and Z or whatever, like the, the J and Z instruction, like jump not zero. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so exactly. After you do a comparison of two things, then you can... Uh, so, so are you an assembly guy? More or less. He shakes yeah, his hand. Yeah, and yeah. So I took, I went to UC Davis, that's where I graduated, and I took, um, whatever, we did MIPS. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with MIPS? A little bit. Uh, we didn't really use a lot of it. We pretty much did x86 for everything that we did. See, I'm jealous, right? And you know what's funny? So I'm jealous that my school's so far behind, mm-hmm. all right? And it's Whoa, not... Whoa, MIPS is the future, though. You see, see all the stuff coming out of China with MIPS? No. Uh, everything, everything new that's being funded by the Chinese government, all the academic projects that are leading... So is it the new arm? 
Uh, all of the well, all of the new giant fabs that are being uh, having shit tons of money dumped into them in China are all printing out MIPS. So you, uh, I heard this. I'm pretty sure it's true. Before, of course, this new movement, what was the fastest MIPS chip ever manufactured? I, I, you don't know. Come on, you got to know that. Dude, Nintendo 64 fastest okay. MIPS ever okay. built. Okay. Right? That's a pretty cool machine, right? I mean. It you know, Add some graphics to it, right? It, I mean, it, had, it had some Star Fox on that. Dude, it's some Star Fox. Fucking do barrel roll. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, dude. Star, Star Fox was the most amazing, uh, like, 3 a.m. video game in the world. So you were a console gamer. I keep bringing you games that are all PC-based. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, as long as, long as, as, long as uh, you know, yeah. 64, yeah, I mean, right? What, 64 or what? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I played the Nintendo. I played the of Game course. Boy. Of course. Right, right, right. I mean, Do you I play also, Pokemon? Oh yeah, yeah, the Game Boy. I, I love that game, dude. I, I did the. Uh, I went through Blue. I just read Blue, and that was I didn't. It. I didn't. Uh, yeah, and that was know. it. Yeah, that was all yeah. I needed. I got the concept. It was fun. Yeah. You know, you know, you can get Mew in those. Yeah. Like you can actually like. Oh, how you hack him in or something? No. Yeah. There, there's an actual. There's a legitimate. There's way. A, an ID for his. Avatar. But no, I mean, there's a legitimate way to get it in the game without using like oh, game logic oh, or cool. anything like that. Cool. Like, there's a bug where you can actually. Um, That's not legitimate. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. It's totally. Like, I actually. Uh, you mean you can do it without modification? Back, you don't mean. I came back many years later and I had the uh, the ROM missing, in my yeah. uh, Android uh -huh. phone and I was playing it. Like missing? Uh, no, you mean? And then you go somewhere special and then. Something similar to that, but it was. Uh, you go to a certain place and then you go talk to a certain gym leader in Misty's gym or something. All right. Okay. And that gym leader has a has a name or some value that overwrites one byte okay. into some target address, and uh -huh. you can set it up so that one target address is what is, you catch. No, well, it's like a some like destination thing. So, the moment that you leave Misty's gym, you walk up, and then you go into like this certain field in a certain way, and then like Mew always appears. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's ridiculous. That's really cool, dude. So yeah. check it out. So um, I don't know much about putting things in the blockchain. But I really think this is possible, okay? Uh -huh. So I've heard that there's lots of opcodes that are disallowed on the network. Okay. Okay? Or, and, some of, and there's some that are allowed. And some of it just says transact and a couple other things. There are actually additional things you can do. Mm -hmm. And I'm really wondering if you could compile that into an assembly. I don't know if it's turn complete. Because it eventually they're talking about having wallets do more than just... Because there's the whole scripting engine built down. The scripting engine, yeah. that's what it's called. I need to research that. Because if you can make, turn that into an assembly, mm -hmm. even if it's not fully turn complete, but some, you can do some pretty cool stuff. And you could, I don't know if, are you a JavaScript guy at all? Or, a bit, yeah. Uh, do you know what CoffeeScript is? Yeah. It's a one-to-one -one conversion. Mm -hmm. So if you could build a CoffeeScript out of an assembly that was on Bitcoin, you might be able to do stuff logic like, if you pay into this account, split to two accounts. Mm-hmm. Right? And, that, and so it's trusted, because we already have the assembly on the network that will all run it. So that is really interesting to me. I don't, I don't know about that, but I really think that's a, a good idea. One thing that I, the, that I thought would be fun with some of the scripts is actually having some sort of like a courier network. And so you can essentially have uh, insurance on a package, and you have a package you know, being delivered from point A to point B through like you know, five different distribution points. And then the moment uh, you have the original person that creates the original transaction, then it, it can get signed off and passed and signed off and passed uh, physically. And then the moment it gets to the final destination, uh, they can accept, it's tour. accept that coin, and then everybody who helped distribute gets their cut. It's and Tor. Then, and then if they fail, then uh, like the person gets their money back and the person gets whatever. Okay, yeah. so and then that's possible, or you're thinking about it, or? No, I mean, I, I, you did the logic. It seems like it's totally possible. Okay, so what I need you to do is I need you to write that down. You write down that equation, okay? And I will take it and I will try and solve it so that I can do what I want to do with it. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if I can get my logic to be a transform of that equation, your mm -hmm. money, you're good, right? Mm -hmm. So that, so that is what I'm talking about. So this is what I do. You know what Kickstarter is? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I don't mean to ask you too many no. questions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so Kickstarter is uh, for those of you who don't know. Uh, you say I want to build a product, whether it's hardware or whatever, and I'm going to need this much funds, and everybody pays in, and if the mar target is not met, you pay everybody back. However, if you do meet the target, they get the money, they build the product, and now you've just funded it, cutting out the validation stage, because startups is really hard to validate. You're a tech guy, I'm a tech guy, I have this idea, oh, that would be a good idea, but in reality, no one wants it. So you have to go ahead and uh, validate your idea. So for Netflix, you just ship people DVDs by, uh, by hand mm -hmm. until it became too costly to ship by hand, and then you had a problem that you had to solve with the software. So you don't write any software. Anyways, it would be really cool. Um, and a lot of now I thought, lost my train of thought, but you know those things I was just saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got distracted by Netflix. So you know it's really cool to come and uh, calculate how how can we trip the trick the script network. I think that's going to be an interesting or or use it right. I mean, it's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I'm uh, sorry, so Kickstarter, right? So if you can do what you just said, mm -hmm. you get to build Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And then you now ask everybody at the conference to fund your Kickstarter to start your company. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do, dude. Yeah, it would need to be a, a custom wallet, essentially. So you could have a, then, a custom client. Yeah, but that would yeah. be trusted, right? Because it's publicly or... Uh, You'd probably do it something like in the form of like an Android app or something. And so it would be essentially... You'd have to do an Android app because people would adopt that because there's... Yeah, I mean, big surface. <laughs> essentially, when you know the delivery man finally comes with your package, you like sign off on the thing, and when you sign off with your phone, that's when it Goes. you know signs the script, and then everybody gets paid. Mm -hmm. and so everybody who helped out, and yeah, and I don't know, I think it could work, but there's all sorts of so, weird things. I mean, I want to see more use of the scripting engine. And I don't dude, another high fun. five in real life. You ready for this, dude? High five. We're gonna script some shit, dude. We should. I, I'm, I swear, dude. So the, the coffee rail, no, whatever the rail, the coffee script sounds like a pretty interesting idea. Because I mean, if you can define, like I said, what you said in some opcodes, if you can give me some opcodes to define what you just said, mm -hmm. then I, you know, maybe I just look at the, the client and fuck with it, right? So I mean, mm -hmm. so have you looked at this? Oh, you did. You looked at it some. Do a you think bit. it's uh, a? Yeah. Is, is there a lot of code that's been commented out? That's what I've been hearing around the conference. Is there's a lot of code that's commented out in the original Bitcoin code? Have you heard about this? I've seen some of it, yeah. Like, you know, what was Satoshi's original intent? But there, there's code in there, and it's still there. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty... I don't think it's active. I think it's commented out, so yeah. it will never execute. But, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Like, mm -hmm. and if you use his code verbatim, mm -hmm. then people will trust it. And if you build an assembly into that code, you release a new wallet that's more upgraded on his original code. You now have a Turing-complete S-script in a cool... You could do it in Python. So have you heard of a polyglot? Yes. No. So, uh, object. Um, so there's this really cool Rails-esque framework called VertX. Okay. Runs on the JVM, yeah. and you can run JRuby, JThon, mm -hmm. JJJ, mm -hmm. and now you have a polyglot where they can call each other, you have a common API, you get to use the language to your fullest that's your favorite, and the coolest thing is you could hire an intern mm -hmm. that was like, oh, I only do Python, and I'm like, fuck, we're Ruby shop. But that would work, and he could write his own controllers. Yeah. No, so, no, I was looking into that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's so cool, dude. It's, it's a neat project. Yeah. How do you feel about the JVM? Uh, I I like the general concept of the JVM by but code. What about the what about the what about the uh, security issues there? Let's say uh, the best JVM in the world is our security issues. The the, J, the JVM I think is fine. The problem is when you get to uh, things that need the 
need to talk to native code. Uh, like when, when you have the, the applets in the browser or whatever, right? The, right. The security issues are... Uh, the security issues always come up when you know it's trying to do some system like calls a to a native. native communication, whatever, and so it needs to have like it does complex things in protected mode. And if you can, from the outside, uh, hand off some untrusted stuff to the protected code, then that's when you can start busting out. And then you know. so it's input validation, but it's really easy to do, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, the um, so wait, so so. Yeah. If you're running a JVM on a server and the mm -hmm. only code that ever gets run is yours, are you yeah. pretty much safe, or is it pretty easy still to break out of that? No, I, I mean, because it's not—it's not like you're default, loading binaries. By default, right. Java allows file access. Okay, so it, I mean, I need that for logs. Yeah. Right. Sure. I mean, uh, but so I mean, the notion of breaking out uh, is is kind of difficult. But sure. How do you feel about uh, how do you feel about uh, FreeBSD jails? Uh they seem to work pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, have you played with that at all? Uh, not, not the FreeBSD implementations, but I've okay. played a lot of different. Uh, you're, so I failed to mention you're a Linux guy. You're a Linux on the desktop guy. Another high five. I know this is gay. We keep high fiving, but this is pretty cool, dude. And so high fives are fun. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So I love talking to Linux people, and I should have sort of pitched you as a Linux guy, but I, I'm actually still just sort of getting to know you. And I think that's really cool that you that you kind of are super in on the Linux side. And I guess I'm a polyglot. I try to touch all the little things oh, and yeah, work yeah. on the little shit, right? Uh -huh. And we all do, of course. But um, yeah, man, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the so okay? So people are announcing that KVM has won, as in, in versus KVM versus what's the other one? Zen, I guess. Zen, yeah, right. How do you feel? Who do you feel is the winner? And and uh, what do you think about that? Well, Zen has always required a lot of kernel modification. So kernel mods, okay, right? Yeah, uh, and so the fact that you can essentially do all the stuff that you could do with Zen now with KVM with all the different hardware extensions or whatever uh, is kind of nice. Uh, there's a lot less code involved with KVM. Uh, from what I've seen. And is that an attack surface thing? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's a lot of... Actually, I mean, you look at any of like the security mailing list and you, there's been a lot of Zen activity recently. So check it out, though. You were saying exactly the same thing. You said when the Java has to communicate with native code, in the browser example, bad news. So when the kernel has to communicate with quote-unquote native code, which is your, technically your bare metal hypervisor, but that's native, that's outside the jail. Well, especially the para-virtualization. Para that's what I'm saying. And so the para-virtualization mm -hmm. overhead creates a larger attack surface at that interface, right? Well, it's huge. It's, like, it's a giant transaction layer. And, uh, like, the, you know, writing parsers in C is difficult. Uh, it's not, C is not a language for writing parsers. And so... Well, what would you use, like, Perl or something faster? Or? Well, something... Like, uh, because C, C is designed, you know, you have, you know, memory layouts, and you copy, and you move, and you do like that. Dude, I've taken so many C classes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and C doesn't really have, you know, a, a safe way, really, to move around data. And especially when you're trying to do things very quickly, then you start taking shortcuts, and you start... Uh, well, they're, they're brilliant when you first find them, but then there are yeah, shortcuts later, well, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's all these whatever like optimizations that people to do, and like they'll do, they do really tricky like ninja stuff and like moving things and making whatever. Like, but that's really cool though, right? So like the basic ninja stuff is called pointer arithmetic. Yeah. And yeah. so you take this pointer and you know the array is this big, but instead of pulling up the array constructor, you just go and jump to that point in memory, right? Yeah. And that'll a pointer arithmetic you you know somewhere else. Yeah, and I mean with the arithmetic, a lot of times you have you know. Uh, you know, offset multiplied by seven plus three or whatever to get to where you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And those numbers could be, you know, 
taken or derived somehow from other user input that's not necessarily trusted. So basically, it's user input flowing into the meta operation of the language, right? I mean, you're trying to hit, not hit the end of the array. Yep, and I mean, the moment that you start, uh, you know, trying to read or write memory that... Yeah, uh, so have you heard of the fourth programming language? Fourth, yeah. It's an bit. embedded system one. Yeah. So one of the cool things about fourth is that um, it has two stacks. And there was, a, there was a mathematical paper done that said the best amount of stacks to have is two, C has one. From a mathematical point of view, okay? Uh -huh. So the way fourth works is it's got, so you've got your normal uh, data stack. So every time you call a function, you put all your data on, and then it'll pop one off, and you get off the stack. Okay. But when you want to jump into the function, you use the address stack. And you jump in, and when you're done, you jump out. Mm -hmm. Now the beauty here is, is that with C, you actually have to roll up both the address and the data onto the same stack, mm -hmm. and then do your calculations. And when you jump back, you have to unroll and give you a return value. Yeah. So and so, if yeah. you overwrite something on the stack, then you can start. You now go into instruction space. Yeah. But if you use uh, fourth, you have a whole separate area of memory, totally isolated, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you could eventually, if you could take over and jump all the way over there. But I mean, you know, it's yeah. it's not overrunnable. I mean, you'd still be able to uh, be overwriting Stuff. arguments in other. Yeah. Which could do stuff, but yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so um, it's really cool because you uh, save a lot of time not having to worry about which data you're supposed to jump back to. So there's a lot of code when you're doing return stuff that has to do jumps and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And when you separate them, there's no more if statements, and it just kind of goes. So it's pretty cool. Uh -huh. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting concept. And it's really modular. You can define any letter to be any command, so then you can build little things. And, and it has a really good tie into assembly. And so the, I guess, I guess MIPS, no, I don't even know what, uh, I was a Motorola guy, so not MIPS, Motorola has their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it ran all these little Motorola's, it was a place I worked at, and it was, it was pretty cool, man. And it was really efficient, and they would run their microcontrollers and do little motors and sensors, and. Yeah, no, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. man. I mean, it's always interesting seeing like new architectures. And, and it's super old, don't get me wrong, super old, but uh -huh. it's cool, it's like a robotics language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, neat. Cool, man. So. It's been a long time. I'm kind of holding you up. Is there anything else you want to kind of wrap up or any sort of anything you want from me? Or? Uh, idea is crazy now. Uh, well, no. we may or may not exchange on that idea, which I'd be happy to keep in contact with you. I don't know how you'd like to do that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, Whatever. Like some sort of an email. Or a sure, exactly. Somewhere. That's cool. I'm sure dude. I'm going to see you in the, uh, the room tomorrow oh, yeah, at some of course, point. Yeah. That's great, man. It's been really great to meet you. Mm -hmm. And this has been the Port Forward Podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Wow, guys. I am sorry for how hyper I was, but I hope that was an interesting interview with PX. He had some pretty cool ideas about uh, using Bitcoins for pen testing networks to maintain anonymity, but still deliver the highest value um, bug bugs and bug bounties and paying the least amount of money for the best pen testers. I thought that was a uh, really cool idea. Um, up next is an interview I did with the winner of the Bitcoin Hackathon, sadly, GetBitcoin.com did not win the hackathon. Wamp, wamp. But Bitwall did. So up next is Nick Malonis. Or Melionis. Hey, everybody. I've got Nick Melionis on the line. Nick, how's it going? Great, Ben. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, dude. So I met you at the hackathon. And are you, you're local to like the San Francisco Bay Area, right? Yeah, I live in San Francisco. This has been my home now for about almost two years now. And uh, yeah, so we met at the Bitcoin 2013 Future of Payments um, conference, and I wanted to kind of get your feel for how was like the, kind of the whole weekend, like what was your, some of your favorite stuff and kind of how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. So previously, I worked at Visa, so I've been in the payments ecosystem for a good while now, 
and then also uh, founded a mobile wallet company. Mm -hmm. And so payments and anything within the realm is something that interests me a lot. Mm -hmm. So coming into the Bitcoin conference was exciting because this is definitely an opportunity where it can really be something that, you know, has a global impact and really is uh, kind of really creating all kinds of opportunities, um, you know, within payments, but also in other opportunities as well. And so one thing I liked about the conference was really this, this eager collaborative nature. Everyone there realizes that this is, you know, a new frontier, a new area. People are all trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And so you really could sense that from everyone within the group that, um, they're willing to help each other because everyone here is in a similar boat where it's, you know, there's an opportunity here, but people are trying to figure it out and also learn from each other. Right. And so, um, what was your favorite thing at the conference? Uh, I mean, the hackathon for sure. I love hackathons. So all right, all right. Hackathon was uh, was a good time. So tell me about your hackathon experience. Yeah. So uh, you guys know the gist for hackathons, of course. Yes. Twenty um, four hour software challenge. And so for one, met some great people there. Obviously, you, of course. We, uh, you and I, were sitting there just <laughs> cranking away, battling it out. On exactly. The grab, exactly. Which, uh, um, I love that. Um, I love the collaborative nature of. It. I love being able to learn from people. Also, um, I'm just cool. Some really great ideas and a little bit of background, but we built, we built Bitwall, which is a monetization um, platform for digital content mm-hmm. using Bitcoin micropayments. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely see that there's a, a burgeoning ecosystem for micropayments um, and a lot of opportunities. So it was and like Bitcoin uh, can enable that. Like the Wall Street Journal wants to have content that's like that's pay to view and then they would use Bitwall to monetize, right? Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of these uh, digital content providers are looking into the HBO model, the Netflix model on mm-hmm. ways to monetize their content. Mm-hmm. But micropayments previously have not been an opportunity because of the transaction fee associated with credit cards and debit cards. But Bitcoin, though, enables quite an opportunity to really change that up. Mm-hmm. And so are you more of a, uh, like a business guy or a software guy or what's your background? Yeah, so I'm more of a business guy. I've studied computer science previously while I was back at Duke. I did a, a year-long focus program. Uh-huh. And also I've done the online coursework as well. Uh-huh. But um, I, I, I do business development. Okay. And yeah. so you, you had like a great pitch. I mean, honestly, um, I feel cheated by your pitch deck because you just went and made a pitch deck and you totally, you totally won the show. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of jealous I wasn't on your team. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, we uh, – you know, I think one of the big things is I, I like to be prepared and definitely um, and disciplined in terms of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, props to your team as well. You guys were uh, you guys were definitely quite the uh, quite the force out there too. So it was, well, um, yeah, it was thank a good, you. Uh, good battle. I mean, I mean, it's uh, yeah, well, definitely it was a good battle. Um, I think it's interesting that you know me coming from the tech side, we you know engineers really like to focus on the tech and the product um but vcs all they really care about is like the business idea and the model and so from the business side you can do a lot with a powerpoint and it's very interesting to see how each person focuses on what they think is going to be the most important for, you know for the judges right absolutely no doubt about it yeah so that's one thing we definitely wanted to we wanted to showcase from a demo perspective here's the here's the technological I guess, product that we put together over the weekend mm-hmm. uh, to be able to showcase that that ability, mm-hmm. but also then be able to say, hey, you know what, this is just one piece of a broader uh, broader pie that we see. Mm-hmm. And so then that comes to the pitch deck, trying to showcase, here's the real viability of this kind of product and being able to, of course, sell that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And did you go to the, any of the tracks or were you mostly focusing on the hackathon? So Friday, I went to a good bit of the tracks. I got to sit in a lot of the regulation stuff. That's something that's definitely interesting because, of course, the nature of Bitcoin. Frightening, frightening, basically, more like that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We're on a new frontier right now, so people are trying to learn quite a bit. Um, So that was good. But then also anything involving, uh, I guess, trying to learn how financial institutions and everyone of the like are going to be able to 
incorporate Bitcoin into what they're doing as well. Uh huh. And yeah. so you said you went to Duke, right? When, when did you graduate? Yeah, I graduated from Duke in 2011. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then, have you been going to hackathons? Like, how did you get into the hackathon scene? Yes, my first hackathon was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. I went to the Angel Hack one. That was in um, it was in the AOL main auditorium. Okay, right. And uh, yeah, I had a great experience. Pretty much every every hackathon I've gone to, I've either done something in payments or commerce. That's always that's been that's kind my, of your thing, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's my my sweet spot. So mm-hmm. I um, I love the area. I like being um, in that kind of a, that kind of realm. Uh huh. And do you kind of like look for a team when you get there, or do you have like people you go with, or? I've done both. Um, so right now, we've pretty much got it figured out where I know the guys that I'll be working with because uh-huh. we've got a good rapport. Uh-huh. Um, but uh-huh. previously, had you know, we go to hackathons, pitch to people, build a team. And that's kind of fun, too. I mean, the, the nature of putting together a new team, doing something entirely new, really learning from each other, that's a good time. But now that we've put together this uh, kind of my, my squad, so to speak, <laughs> I know who I'll be working with in these hackathons. So that's a good time as well. Nice. And so I don't know if this is a rumor or not, but I heard that you want a car. Is that true? Yeah, so we did. Um, back in January, I went to the AT&T GM Connected Car Hackathon. Mm-hmm. And this was in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So they were having a connected device challenge. And it was anything that's going machine to machine. So using um, phones that are connected to the GM software development kit in the car. Right. And so, yeah, won that hackathon and we won a Chevy Volt. So it was a good, uh, you know, I've definitely can imagine leaving Vegas with less money. So it was good to, uh, <laughs> good to come out on top. Did you, did you fly out to Vegas just for that hackathon or were you in Vegas just because or? Yeah, so we flew to the we flew to Vegas because we said we want to win that hackathon. So that was the that wow. was the reason for going down there. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. I don't I don't know that I've had the balls <laughs> yeah, to do yeah. that yet. Oh, that's that's yeah. awesome, dude. Um, cool. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. I mean, feel free to like plug or pitch or anything that you want to say. I mean, I, I guess I just kind of got to know you, and I, I I don't know what to ask you. But if there's anything else that you want to say, I'm not trying to like wrap up. I mean, we have as, kind of as much time as we want oh, here. Yeah. So like, I mean, you know, this is great. Yeah. Well. Honestly, for one, I want to say thanks for the opportunity to uh, chat about this. And also, um, I guess I would say that, you know, I'm really looking forward to evaluating the opportunities going forward. I think that there's, the, as we said, we're kind of on the frontier of a new ecosystem with Bitcoin. Uh-huh, and so uh-huh. with Bitwall, we're really excited about the opportunities that emerge from the hackathon. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, as I said, I'll keep you posted as we start making moves going forward because it's, uh, you know, this fits into my the sweet spot we talked about within payments and mm-hmm. uh, micro payments and all of the above. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, with, with regards to Bitwall, we're going to be exploring our options and seeing what kind of impact we can make with it. What? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're a payments guy. So what were you doing at Visa? What was your job there? Yeah. So I was in, so Visa's got a rotational business program. It's a, it's a great program. So you rotate through various business functions and spend six months in each. Uh-huh. So first one I was in sales and they've got a, it's called the marketing consulting team. Okay. And so you work with different merchants and financial institutions and help them launch their visa marketing campaigns um, based off their visa products. Mm-hmm. Um, and so great experience there. I got to do a lot of really informational architecture, um, building out the uh, hierarchy of their knowledge management system. Um, and then for the second rotation, I was in the marketing team, global brand and marketing. Really good experience there too. Learned a lot of project management. We were doing a rebuild of their internal marketing site. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to do project management, work with the agencies, but also really take an idea and get, you know, go through all the all the due diligence of working with different stakeholders and seeing what people want to see, and then putting that in motion. It was a great experience. So had a had a great time at Visa, and it definitely helped build out my understanding of the payments world and all the opportunities out there. 
So uh, when did you, I guess, when did you learn how to put together a pitch deck? Because your pitch deck was pretty, I mean, you know, I've been in the startup industry for about two years now, and, and I would say you had a really high-quality pitch deck. So is that something you've been working on over time? or? Yeah, so, well, back at Duke, Duke's got the Duke Startup Challenge. Okay. And so I love that. I also got to um, got to work with, I took a class at the Duke Business School. It's called the um, Program for Entrepreneurs. Okay. And essentially what they do is there's, yeah, there's business school teams and what they are launching startups as part of their curriculum, so to speak. And then undergraduates at the university can apply to join these teams. So I joined a phenomenal team. We were looking at um, looking at renewable energy and alternative energy sources in emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And so joined a tremendous team and really got to understand uh, the pitch deck side and the business side of that. Okay. And um, that was uh, – so I was younger. I was probably – I believe that was my sophomore year, junior year. And so that was when I was really thrust into the whole building out a pitch deck um, and going through the whole pitch thing, and it was uh, very new to me. Now I'm been going at it for a good while now. Learned some some great things through my experiences in that, but also while working at Visa, was able to understand different ways to be concise with what you're saying, um, but also really be because at the end of the day you're going to be persuasive. So getting that across, and uh, so yeah, it's led me to where I'm at now. I think also the second piece of that is going to hackathons. Mm-hmm. As you've gone to a few, you are picking up bits and pieces of information and figuring out what is it that you want to get across and how to do it. So that, that whole thing you just described to me, was that called the Duke Startup Challenge? Is that what that was called in total? or? Yeah, so well, two pieces. One's the Duke Startup Challenge. The second one is the is the Fuqua Program for Entrepreneurs. Okay. It's called E3. Yeah, and really good, really good opportunities there. I would encourage anyone who's got an opportunity to either be starting a company while back in school or also working with people who are in that experience. It's a really good, uh, a good way to add a little bit of structure to the startup world because it's tough to, uh, tough to conceptualize until you do it. So, yeah, I'm kind of jealous. My school didn't, well, to my knowledge, my school didn't have anything like that. So now I want to go and yell at the alumni foundation and be like, why don't you guys have a fucking startup <laughs> foundation or startup challenge? Yeah, they got a they got to get on that. And so you went to, you went to Davis? I right? went to Davis, yeah. And I mean, they had a great computer science program there, but like, I didn't even know that I had the, that what a startup, like what it was to be in a startup. Like the, everyone was like, oh, you're going to go work for this big company or you're going to go do this. Like the term startup wasn't even an option if you just paid attention to the curriculum. Like without, I mean, I live in the Bay Area, so I know about startups, but without that, if I just looked at what Davis was teaching me, there would have been no knowledge of, of what a startup was or, or how any of that worked, um, which is... That, that's interesting because... Oh, yeah, go on. Which is ironic because I went to an alumni meeting, our alumni foundation meeting, maybe two months ago, and they were like, we really want to help promote entrepreneurs and blah, 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 but they kind of seem like powerless, like they want, they know what the Silicon Valley is about, but they don't know like how to get into it, you know? I hear, yeah, that's... um. Well, so what's interesting about that is one of my... One of my mentors in the area, Chris Morton, he's a UC Davis alum. He he did EC at UC Davis. Uh-huh. And then so we met while well, he was at Duke, though. He was at Duke getting his MBA. Mm-hmm. So he was at the Fuqua School of Business. And so he's been in the startup scene for a good while now, launched um, launched several ventures. And so he is exactly the type of guy that, that UC Davis should be plugging in terms of that because he is definitely um, – he definitely knows the scene well. Mm-hmm. Really is – we always joke around that he's the uh, – He's kind of the the startup parental figure in the area. He knows the scene well and is able to provide just phenomenal insight uh-huh. and really yeah, ask the tough questions you need with regards to starting a company. And so and, he was um, he was your mentor. Yeah. You said I'm sorry. He was your mentor. Yes, he's my mentor. Yeah, so he's one of my mentors out here right now, and he's I mean he's the man, great guy. So I should put you guys in touch because he's. 
he's a good person to be in touch with. I would definitely, I would definitely appreciate that. I mean, I, yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I, I never really had a mentor, and I, I mean, I like to. Um, well, right now I have, uh, and I have an advisor position at another startup, um, and so I'm kind of serving that role myself. But I never really had oh, a good gotcha. mentor, yeah, my to be mentoring me, and so that's something that's interesting. Even going forward, that's something that's useful for for me to have. You know, uh, it's it's interesting. It's um it's hard to get connected, but once you do get connected, things just kind of happen. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it always helps to have someone who's been through the arena, understands the trials and tribulations, but also knows the scene well because, I mean, as something that I'm sure you've seen plenty too, it uh, it, it helps to know people in the area. Yeah. So someone who's built out a strong network and also can, um, can, as we said, ask those tough questions and really get in and what's the, what are the challenges you're going to see, it, uh, it helps. It can really accelerate your education in the area, and that's one thing that um, I've seen quite a bit, which I've been so appreciative of. So you got to meet all of – we all got to meet the Winklevite twins. That was pretty cool, huh? Yeah, yeah, that was a good time. Um, I'm a big fan. They're a good crew. We definitely, I had a blast meeting those guys, and they definitely, um, they've got some interesting thoughts into the Bitcoin arena. They're definitely, yeah, and they um, really. I mean, I think I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, they really liked your idea, which was huge. And I mean, I was taking pictures of you and them hanging out, basically from you know, no one was paying attention to my idea. They all liked your idea, and everyone was crowded <laughs> around your laptop. Basically, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we. Um, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, that was it. It was cool, man. It was cool to see that, you know? Yeah, I definitely, yeah. I mean, it was it was a blast. Those guys, it was great to have them to be able to bounce our ideas off them because we had started, you know, chatting with them about the venture and what we were working on um, later in, in the evening on Saturday. And so being able to really get their feedback on and understand what are the pain points with regards to areas than Bitcoin, which mm-hmm. what are those opportunities, mm-hmm. but then also figure out how can you take something that is you know, from a hackathon, you got to be very focused with regards to your idea. But then, how can you broaden that perspective and see what is the where does this fit into a big ecosystem, and how can this be uh, a real force out there? It was awesome to be able to talk to them about it because they had some some great feedback, and it was good to be able to have that uh, have those two able to you know kind of dive into various details of what we were doing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, uh, speaking of Bitcoin, when was Bitcoin like first on your radar? So it's um that's a great question. So honestly. Early, only earlier this year, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so I had been ha- had been aware of it, but really started my education of it only uh, only I guess a few months back now. Mm-hmm. And so it was something that, as we said, since I've been in the payment space for a while, coming into Bitcoin, I was thinking, "Wow, this is." First, I said, "Wow, this is interesting." Then I kind of came to the position where, "Wow, this is something that that could be powerful." And now, after going to the conference and also learning more and more about it, I can sit here and say, "You know, this is." Uh, this is something that really could be this force out there that there's opportunities with regards to whether it be just helping, you know, Bitcoin exchanges, but also these various facets of how can Bitcoin be a catalyst for other areas. And that's really what we're focusing on. How can Bitcoin be this, this vehicle that can deliver micropayments and unlock this, you know, previously prohibitive or difficult to enter ecosystem and uh, that's what excites me. I think it definitely offers those opportunities. I mean, yeah, the micropayments thing is re- is really huge. 
Um, I heard someone. I, I heard someone talking about um, how if you had a let's say in a future where everybody had cars that drew, drove themselves, like everybody had the Google cars, right? Oh uh, yeah. You could use Bitcoin and micropayments to pay your way to gain speed over the other cars, and you'd be paying those other cars to drive slow and get out of your way, right? And so now the other car can basically drive for free. They get free gas or whatever just by driving slow on their freeway and letting everybody else drive by. It was a really interesting idea. Absolutely, yeah. So I think that, um, I, I might have had the same conversation. It was with Adam Levine, uh-huh, right? right? Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that was uh, that was a phenomenal idea. And honestly, either way you look at it, whether you're on the side where you're paying micropayments to go faster, or you're on the receiving end and getting a free, you know, free gas to be driving, sounds like a pretty good. Uh, good <laughs> that sounds idea. pretty so cool. I like that. Yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, are you? Um, can you tell me the name of your of your wallet business? Your 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 uh, is that is that is that out or what's the status of your before you know. Uh, before the conference, you were working on your own startup. So what's what's the status of that right now? Absolutely, yeah. So it's called Purchase Mobile Wallet. And so it's, it's P-U-R-C-H-A-C-E. Mm-hmm. And so the reason for the name is we've got a foundation in financial literacy. Mm-hmm. And so we deliver these daily financial aces um, okay. to your mobile wallet. Okay. And so, we yeah, we just released on Android about a week ago now. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, so the whole concept is we're building out a platform that allows a, a more robust mobile wallet for for teenagers and their parents. Okay. And so the reason why we're focusing on that is we want to be the gateway to a formal banking relationship. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is when you start off with, um, for teenagers right now, if they download this mobile wallet, they can get it before they even have a formal banking relationship. Mm-hmm. So parents can send money to their phone, they can use it and shop in stores, um, but also they can start learning about, you know, f- learn through this financial curriculum and this financial education. And uh, the reason behind that is we want to be able to start early with regards to their education, but also then ultimately when teenagers do start getting their more formal banking relationships, we can we want to be a platform that can um, that can assist with that. And so, if I'm a teenager, do I get to just go to Seven Eleven and I can pay with my phone, or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So the way we do it right now is it's and so this is the beta. So this is this is early. Mm-hmm. So the way we do it right now is we do it through mobile gift cards. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if your parents want to give you allowance. They can send you a Gap mobile gift card right to your phone, mm-hmm. and then you can use your phone to go shop and pay while in the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's sort of overlapping with Gift, right? Are they a competitor to yours or not quite? Well, so what's interesting is that Gift has an API that we could use with regards to delivering the in-app gift card experience. Okay. And so Gift is it, – it's interesting. There, there's some overlap there for sure, uh-huh. but they're focusing in more on the broader gift card ecosystem, whereas right. for us, ours is – Really, we want to provide a, a money management and financial platform, uh-huh. um, and then with gift cards being one medium that can be sent through our through our platform. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So one thing that's really interesting is that at least here in the United States, I mean, the whole point of going to school is so you can get a job, right? That's why you go to high right. school. That's why you go to college. But mm-hmm. there's no talk about how to manage your money. It's about how to, you know, you're supposed to make money by going to school, but there's no money management classes, at least not in my high school. Right. Yeah. So what, what's up with that? How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, that's what's so interesting. I'm glad you asked that. So I, I, what I'll do is I want to send you an article, which is pretty interesting. It talks about how how few states have a mandate that says that you need to have a financial curriculum um, in your education. Mm-hmm. It's so few, it's unreal. And uh, I can't remember the exact number right now, but I will send you away so you can take a peek. But so what's interesting about that is, I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to solve. And so I met with, um, I met with Ted Gondra a while back. So he's the founder and executive director of MoneyThink. Okay. It's a financial literacy nonprofit. Okay. And so what they do is they're, 
they're empowering college students to go back into high schools and teach this financial curriculum. And um, it's interesting because, as you said, there's so much education around how can you learn various, various abilities in order to get a job. But what about managing your money? It's something that is, for one, I mean, talking about money between people sometimes is a bit of a contentious topic. But they don't talk uh, about money at all. It's like, you're exactly. right. It's like it's taboo to talk about money, but you're, as a teacher, you're supposed to be teaching the children the skills they're going to need. But that's like a huge portion of the skills that no one ever teaches, right? So It's so true, yeah. And then also it's something that people, if they don't understand it, they don't want to admit to not understanding it either. Right. So it's, uh, it's there's a, a taboo. Yeah, there's a taboo there because, you know, oh, Mr. Moneybags is going to tell me about how to manage my money, but, you know, he doesn't understand my situation or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so true. And so that's why, like we've been saying, we want to be able to make it something that is is a more common discussion to be having. And that's why offering a mobile app where parents and teenagers can both be engaging through the app um, and, and discussing money management, we deliver these daily tips deliver ways for parents and teens to be discussing finances with each other mm-hmm. and really try to create a, a, a better environment and culture around it. Mm-hmm. And then you guys, of course, are then poised to get the bank account. I don't know if that's like a referral fee or like however you guys would monetize that, right? But you get the kids on your bank plan, right, once they once they have a bank account, right? Exactly, yeah. So we are um, – and so that's something that we haven't established yet, but ultimately that was uh, – you know, that's that's where we're heading, and that's definitely a spot that we want to be at. And is that your only way to monetize, or are there other monetization along the way? No, so um, there's other ways we can do it, too. Uh, for one, being um, with the data. So we can build out ways for – with teenagers, we'll build out ways for them to be – have a little more of a social sharing with regards to what they're shopping for, wish uh-huh. lists, all the above. Mm-hmm. And so being able to have that built into that experience. Uh, so being able to monetize that is definitely something that we are considering. Um, but so right now, we're definitely focusing on what is the – What's the financial literacy curriculum, but also what are the ways that we can um, help offer more integrated banking experience? And so with that, that'll lead to uh, our next strategy for monetization. And so if, if they lose their phone, is that like they lost their whole wallet or how does that work? No. So what we'll do is that's a great question because that's one of the biggest concerns that people have with regards to their wallet. When they lose their phone, they think, okay, wow, it's my wallet toast. Right. But so what we'll do is we're going we're gonna to offer a, a way for you to uh, wipe all the data from your phone, from your mm-hmm. physical device. Mm-hmm. And so we'll save the data elsewhere, but you can have it wiped clean from your phone uh-huh. so that your phone is no longer the this uh, <laughs> this charged wallet that's ready to shop, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. And you guys are just starting on Android first. Is that because Apple was giving you issues or you just didn't want to deal with Apple or why was the reason to go with Android? Yeah, we went with Android first just because that's, uh, that's what our team knows best. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so also, um, but it's true. We're definitely looking to uh, dive into the iPhone space and get on iOS. But uh, Android first was just a natural fit for our team. Do you do you um, foresee any issues that Apple might cause with you? I, I don't know what issues they would have, but it seems like that's like an app that they wouldn't want to have on the App Store. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. They we don't foresee any issues, but also um, as of course we all know that Apple definitely runs a tight ship in terms of what they get in there. It's an annoying. It's, it's an annoying ship, but yeah, it's tight. <laughs> they definitely. Uh, they definitely make things uh, make things challenging. So we hope that we're ready to leap that hurdle when it when it comes time. Uh huh. And so, yeah. is there a website, or what, what do I search for in the in the app store to get your app? Yeah. So if you just search "purchase mobile wallet" or, uh-huh. or just "purchase" for that matter, and again, it's P U R C H A C E, you can find the wallet in there. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also the website's just purchasewallet.com. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, anyone that that is interested in taking a peek at, we're looking for feedback too because. As we said, this is just the beta, and we realize that it's uh, only a piece of what we're going to accomplish. But also, we've gotten some really just great thoughts from people who've tried it out thus far, 
and have interesting ways that they want to see or new features they want to see, which is great. So we would love any kind of feedback too. So, and um, any any feedback that people want to send can just be sent to team. So T A M and then at purchaseapp.com. They okay. can send that our way. We'll take a peek. Great. And I'm also yeah. going to, when you send that, send me that article, I'll also include it in the show notes so people that are listening can uh, take a look at the article we were talking about as far as the education, uh, financial education. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so um, uh, who, what's your, how do we find you on Twitter? Yeah, so you, mine, it's just my name. So N-I-C, M-E-L-I-O-N-E-S. So Nick Melionis. And any other place you'd like people to contact you or anything else like that? or? Yeah, so honestly, any of the social mediums is great. Twitter's good. Um, if you want to uh, drop me a line on LinkedIn, that's great too. Cool, Any cool. Above is uh, always welcome. Some mm-hmm. great. Well, I mean, it's been great talking to you and to kind of get your story a little bit. And hopefully, you know, you and I can stay in touch personally. Is there anything else that you'd like to cover here? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's just. Uh, I, mean, I think we've uh, we've hit it on the head quite a bit. I definitely appreciate the time, and um, let's definitely let's keep in touch. I definitely would love to uh, love to hear your feedback and everything. And let's. Uh, Let's get back at it on the hackathon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. On the hackathon turf again. Yeah. So yeah, maybe if I uh, hear any hackathons, I'll go ahead and invite you, and we can hang out again. That'd be fun. Please do. Yeah, definitely keep me posted. Great, man. Well, I will talk to you soon. It's been great talking today. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, great catching up, man. I really appreciate it. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, bye bye. See ya. What a moving chord. So that what you guys just what you guys just heard there was the uh, that was a chord from listen to bitcoin.com. And I've been playing some of these transactions. Uh, the tones are transactions. I believe that the pitch has to do with the size. Uh, yeah, so scale the pitch of the transaction amount. And then the bigger of a transaction, the deeper the sound it goes. Um so that's super cool. So one of the ones floating around right now is 169 bitcoins, and you can kind of see them floating by. And then the big chords, see that was that was the that was when a block is discovered. And I believe the way the website works is that each time a transaction gets broadcast on the network, you get a tone. Uh, but when the uh, when the block gets discovered, you get extra transactions that the uh, the website didn't know about. So you get sort of a flood of little pings in addition to the cord. So that that's like really cool. I love I love this website especially when I'm working on Bitcoin related stuff. So that was the interview with Nick Melionis. That what a cool guy. Uh he he's local to me. I think we should definitely hang out and go to like uh, hackathons again or something. Um a couple final ra- uh, wrap ups here. Um final takeaway from the conference is is a conference was fucking awesome. I'm so glad that everybody helped me fund and get my way there. Um, I believe that I ended up making 3.25 bitcoins in total. Um, I don't have the math in front of me, but I was able to pay for the entire conference as well as gas for driving people back and forth from the city. So that was really awesome. Um, So that was two blocks in way under 10 minutes, if you guys heard that. And there was also a bunch of little chimes before the chords to to verify what I said, which means that more transactions come through the block 
than the website knows about. Ah, it's so cool. Um, so I lost my train of thought, but I was about to talk about the food. So on the first day of Bitcoin, the food was pretty shitty, but the subsequent days, the food was actually pretty damn good. I'm not going to lie. Um, there was some chicken, some like big chicken breast in it, like a good sauce, and I was able to skirt on the lines of paleo. I did have some bread, I think, but I tried to avoid it. Um, uh, one, uh, I think I'll give the food a four out of five. Also, the drinks were awesome the whole way. Um, one thing I would like to say, uh, is that, um, I had an interesting story. I think it was on the first day. I was at a table with some guys and, uh, we were all sitting there talking about Bitcoin or whatever. And some, Uh, so some <laughs> some guy comes and approaches the table, and he's kind of like, "Hey guys, does anybody want to uh, to buy some Bitcoin? Basically, give him cash, and he would give you Bitcoin back." And everybody at the table kind of looked at him like, "No, that that's kind of weird. Like, we don't want to do that. Like, you're a weird guy." And then he kind of, and then someone asked him. There was like about five guys at the table, and one of the guys asked him, "Like, why do you why do you want to do this? Like, what's your reason?" And the guy said. He said that uh, he said that he was out of cash. He had I don't know flown in from some somewhere else, and he was out of cash, and he needed cash, but he had bitcoins. And everybody's personality on the table instantly flipped around to, oh, you need help? Let me help you. And it was very interesting that it, in the beginning people were a little bit suspicious, like what's this weird transaction? But when the guy said I need help, the community flipped around and decided to help him. And it was just a little community of five people at the table. Um, but it was really cool to see how the Bitcoin community was really like helping each other. And that was one of the things that I felt at going to this conference is that there were so many things. Um, people were buying different goods and services with Bitcoin and they were talking about it. Uh, and everybody was really like on the level and the community is very strong. And I think that in the future, you're not going to be able to have this kind of strong reaction or strong relationships with people because the community is going to be big and filled with spammers and people wanting to buy stupid drugs on, you know, Silk Road. But right now it's filled with the idealists who really want to make this a real currency. So that was a little story I wanted to I wanted to tell you. Um, uh, in case you didn't notice, the interview with Nick Melionis we just played was a couple days after the conference, which was cool. Um, and I don't remember exactly when it was. It was a few days after. Um, I went to go get Bitcoin sushi, and that's if you live in the Bay Area. It was a place in Sunnyvale. It was called it was called Blue something. Um, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. And they they sell sushi for Bitcoin, and we spent probably forty five dollars for two people. We also bought sake. It was me and my buddy Esteban. Uh, and he was kind of, he he thought I was going to be making a big hassle by, by paying in Bitcoin. And it was sort of true. The waitress wasn't exactly up to speed. I mean, she went in the back and got her tablet and she came back out. She's like, I'm not sure how this works. And so I said, I want to pay this much. Um, and one thing that she was not understanding was that there's no tip added. She's like, I thought there was going to be a tip. And I was like, no, you have to add the tip. So before we made the final transaction, I made sure to add on my tip value. And then she just punched it in and uh, or I punched it in. Oh, no. Yeah, she punched it into her app, and I'm not sure which app she was using, but the QR code had the request. So when I scanned it, my value updated, because uh, the QR code's going to have a request value in there, which is pretty cool. So I scanned it, we paid, and we and we head out of there. And it was a, it wasn't it was probably twice as long as as it would take to pay, um, not because the network was slow, but just because the people involved. And it was like a 
you know, a cute Asian chick. Like, she doesn't know what she's doing with Bitcoin, obviously. She has better things to worry about. Um, but had everybody been on the level, I think it would have been a faster transaction than having her walk back with the credit card because she was just standing there holding the iPad and it took maybe 20 seconds for the network to recognize the transaction. So you figure, depending how far away the credit card machine is from your table, that's faster. That's by maybe twice as fast to just stand with there with the Bitcoin and then you're done. You don't have to sign. You know, you just basically walk out of there. Um, yeah, every time it starts chiming more, I, I pause because I want to wait to listen to the blocks. Um, if you've noticed, we've gotten a couple blocks and it's not been 10 minutes. Maybe it's been 9 minutes or 8 minutes. I'm not looking at the recording, but there's if we go back and listen, there's definitely more blocks than one every 10 minutes. Um, and I remember reading somewhere, I don't have the article, but we might actually hit the end of Bitcoin uh, mining before 2140 because the network takes time to adjust to additional hashing power. And if the people are continually adding new hashing power to the network, the network is always going to be behind, meaning we're always going to be solving blocks every nine minutes or every nine and a half minutes or every eight minutes um, on average. So it's possible we're going to run through our mining chain quicker than we expected. So that's pretty interesting that we're actually going to get through it before then, because before I just assumed that that number was fixed in stone. I figured, you know, 2140, that's, you know, that's when it's going to end. But I also knew that the network had some lag time, and I knew that we were averaging around nine and a half minutes per block. So I guess I didn't put those two things together. But um, I don't know what the estimates on the end are. And in fact, who knows? Because ASICs are coming out. The network's going to adjust to the ASICs. Um, after that, it might be quantum computing. It might be nothing else. It might be like uh, semi, semi-trailer, you know, semi-truck trailers filled with ASICs mining. I mean, if you bought a shipping container worth of ASICs that were all plugged in, that would be a lot of, that'd be like, I don't know, thousands and thousands of gigahashes. So, I mean, it's possible that we're going to be continually mining ahead of, uh, ahead of time, um, you know, ahead of the blockchain. Anyways, this has been the Port Forward Podcast, episode number 31. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I've had a lot of fun interviewing these people. I hope that it's not too long. But if you were one of the people that um, <laughs> one of the people that we interviewed in this podcast, please use givepodcast.com and clip and send to your friends. Um, there's a lot of good content in here, but it's a bit long because it's all kind of smushed together. So hopefully givepodcast.com will be a good tool for you guys to clip longer podcasts like the Port Forward Podcast. Anyways, my desktop computer is set up at home and I'm ready to go. I've actually moved out of my crappy internet situation. So now I have good internet and a good living situation. So we should be able to cut together some more Port Forward Podcasts for you guys coming up here soon. Again, thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me. I'm at Benathon. And follow all the people in the show that I've mentioned. They're all linked in the show notes. And we'll talk to you soon. See you later.